Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value came in, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. <laughs> okay. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever part of the world you're in, this is episode 316. Home team. Lots of stories. Lots of things going on. Uh, it's been I don't know four days since we did our last podcast. Three days since we did our last podcast, and it seems like it's been a couple weeks because of uh, the events taking place. Uh, I'll share with you some of the stories we're going to go in uh, when when the weekend comes by and you hear quotes like this, Ray Dalio. There's a there's now a 50 percent chance of world war as the Israel-Hamas conflict threatens to spread. Ray Dalio just said this, by the way, on October 13th. Jamie Dimon says this is the most dangerous the world's been in decades. Okay? Uh, we'll cover that. Egypt can save Gaza civilians. Wall Street Journal story. How come they don't take them in? Then Forbes does a story on our podcast last week with Charlie Kirk. We'll share that. And you'll see how quickly the next story after they said what they said about the podcast that we did, how they contradicted themselves. Vinny, you got some thoughts on that? Yeah. The, the, a lot of people are saying there's a civil war going on, the Republican Party within Congress, within Ben uh, uh, Shapiro against Tucker, within Candace against Megyn Kelly. Is it really a civil war? Is it just the exchange of ideas, differences? Is that okay? We'll talk about that. Uh, even on the left, uh, you know, the Democratic Socialists, supportive of Gaza, supportive of not Gaza, but Hamas. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a... a Conflicting on that side as well, on the Democratic side, we'll cover that. A lot of billionaires are removing money from paying to Ivy League schools, condemning the fact that they haven't yet to condemn Hamas. And uh, it's challenging to the point where one of the professors from Cornell University, if you haven't seen this, we'll show you this clip, very, very disturbing clip from a uh, professor celebrating almost of what's going on there, saying the attacks... Uh, 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 the Hamas terror attacks are exhilarating and exciting, disturbing to say the least. And then outside of that, we got some business stories to cover. Arnold Schwarzenegger blast Democrats saying they want to F up every city in America as if he wasn't supportive of that just two, three years ago. But we'll address that as well. Jada Pinkett's new book uh, got Will Smith responding. We got some thoughts and ideas. We can process that. Uh, USE's sanctions on Venezuelan oil for freer presidential election. This is something that some people may say at this point, you want to talk about oil, but you'll see the way Tom will break it down, why this is a very important story having to do with lithium, with Exxon, and a bunch of other oil stories put together. We'll talk recession. We'll talk why LinkedIn is laying off 700 employees and Austin's office market is exploding, yet no one is moving in. And then some home, home sales numbers. And then Mexican Sinaloa's cartel's message to members, stop making fentanyl or die. This is a Wall Street Journal story. And last but not least, nearly 70% of active service members are overweight, report finds. I'm sure that is very intimidating to our enemies to see us, our military, being overweight. Okay. So having said that, um, right off the bat, I see we go into the Ray Dalio and Jamie Dimon story. Uh, Rob, if you want to kind of pull that up, go to page four. By the way, folks, if you're listening to this, our notes today are 30 pages. I keep getting messages about people saying, Pat, we'd love to get the notes. We'd love to get the notes. We'd love to get the notes. Here's what we're probably going to be doing on our, on our website, vt.com. In the next two to six weeks, we're going to have a membership where those who pay whatever the amount's going to be, $9.99 or $14.99, whatever the dollar amount's going to be, we will give you the notes so you'll be able to print out the notes from all the podcasts and follow us 
while we're doing this, but it's only members only. If that's something you're interested in, you may want to text the word podcast to 310-340-1132. Again, text the word podcast to 310-340-1132, and you'll get the breakdown on all the notes that we get for podcast preps, and you'll follow it with us. Again, podcast, text the word to 310-340-1132. Okay. There's now a 50% chance of World War III as the Israel-Hamas conflict threatens to spread. Hedge fund legend Ray Dalio, this is a $20 billion man, says. This is, a, again, an insider story. So uh, uh, this may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. Jamie Diamond says if he can pull up his Instagram so people can see this as well. Hedge fund uh, legend Ray Dalio believes that the risk of tra- uh, transitioning from contained conflict to an uncontained hot world has risen from 35% to 50% over the last two years, stating, in my opinion, this war has a high risk of leading to several other conflicts of different stating, of different types in a number of places, and it is likely to have harmful effects that will extend beyond those in Israel and Gaza. Dalio, who is known for his expertise in global power shifts and historical cycles, sees the Israel, Hamas, and Russia, Ukraine conflicts as brutal struggles likely to persist until one side emerges as the clear victor, and he warns, if they spread to other countries, most importantly the major countries, there will be a much more horrific, uh, uh, hot world war. Tom, what are your thoughts on what Dalio is saying here, as well as Jamie Dimon? Well, Dalio and Jamie Dimon don't want anything happen to the U.S. equity markets. That's what they're very, very concerned about, is, is U.S. asset prices, U.S. equity markets. So they're sounding the alarm on one thing, and what it is is the escalation. And when you look at the chessboard... There it is. That's Jamie Dimon. This, mo- this may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, so what is he worried about? This is what he worried about. you you got to look five moves ahead. And there's a nice man that wrote a book, Your Next Five Moves. Think about the next moves here. And the one that everybody's worried about, as you were seeing it over the weekend, was Iran. Everybody, all the ambassadors were going to talk to Iran. They're saying, hey, baby, stay in your corner. Stay in your corner. Don't, you know, we know what you're trying to do over there in in Syria. Don't show up with arms. Don't show up with support. Stay out of this. And there is a lot of work. And that is what everyone is worried about. The escalation of the conflict is not the Saudis. It's not the Egyptians. The Egyptians are not armed and the Saudis are not interested in getting into full conflict. It is Iran and Syria making it a two-front war. That destabilizes energy, which will have a domino effect. So you have leading economic thinkers, Dalio and Diamond, saying, we don't want to see this escalate. And you can translate it down to one sentence. We don't want Iran to get with Syria, make it a two-front war, and make it a regional conflict, which in effect nearly a world war because of what it's going to do to the markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it begs the question, uh, what would the current state of the world look like under the presidency of Donald Trump? Yep. Right? So... uh, if you look at the odds, oh, don't go to, soft on me, Adam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you look at the 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 odds that Jamie Dimon is throwing out there, right, um, and Ray Dalio for that matter, uh, basically going from thirty five percent to fifty percent to a world war, I, I think uh, it begs the question: What would have happened under Donald Trump? Yes, that's me saying this. Yeah. Um, you know, Trump came into office in twenty sixteen like a bull in a china shop. Obviously, the media was against him and. You know, he obviously played a part in that as well. Temperatures flared up. Uh, He came in like a bull in a china shop. But the whole reason, the whole premise that Joe Biden was elected, not because he was a strong, capable, vibrant leader, just because he just wasn't Donald Trump. 
anyone could have beat a Donald Trump just because of the 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 cards that were stacked against him. But uh, I think it's uh, incumbent on all of us to ask. How much different would this be under Donald Trump? Are you going to tell us? Or are you, you going to repeat that three times? So are how you different getting to would the, it be? I want to well, hear your point. But the point is, uh, the the resounding narrative from the people on the right is basically, it, not under Trump. There was no there was no world yeah. wars so under Trump. There think? were no wars what, under Trump. What do you think? I think it's a I think it's a definite question that should be raised, and a lot of people on the left don't want to hear that question yeah. be what, raised. What do you think? Is you, my you point. just narrated it. What do you I think? think? If you just look at the numbers, there's something to be said there. Now. We don't know for sure if Ukraine uh, would have been invaded by Russia. We don't 100% know that. We don't know if this would have happened under Trump. I think it is a very imperative question to ask, though. And, uh, oh, my God. Uh, Adam, it's so, so okay. I got you. So, Rob, why don't you do this? Do you want me to say that I guarantee I've been wait- under Trump? No, it's not. You, you to- said the same thing five times. I got it. Then make your point. Rob, do me a favor and pull up the clip by Shamat. And let's play what Shamat said. And he's actually given perspective. Like, I want to hear your thoughts. If you're saying that. I want you to tell me your follow-through with here's what I'm thinking instead of it begs to question. Here's what Shamat says with his opinion. And then we judge it or we tear it apart. Play the Shamat clip. Go for it. Trump this is the all-in part. Tom, Tom please let, was, him, let us go back to the clip and let's play it. Go ahead. When Trump was elected, I was told that it was the end of the world, and that's what I thought. And I'd already underwritten him as an F, okay? And then four years into the presidency, he was probably like a C. In my mind. And then as I get a little bit of distance away, I realized, no, hold on a second. This guy was like a BB plus. Like he was pretty good. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Joe Biden. But this is the the honest assessment. He voted for Hillary and he voted for Joe Biden. He was a former owner of the Golden State Warriors. I think he made his first billion uh, from Facebook, Tom, if I'm not mistaken. This is not a Trump guy. Keep playing. I did for the things that he was supposed to do a good job. And for where every other president found a way to frankly make our situation a little bit worse specifically around wars he did not do that and that is a huge accomplishment that i think needs to be acknowledged i think the thing that was smart about trump was david was that he pause. was willing to do business david sachs he was willing to negotiate and he didn't feel that david sachs is uh elon musk's right hand guy oh wow david sachs is a guy that's probably according to what you read about one of elon's Ten guys he trusts to process issues with. It's Sachs. That's it's the a, guy. What's his, like his he, background? He was case? the guy when Ron DeSantis announced his candidacy on X via X. Twitter. It. it was David Sachs that was actually doing there the interview go. along Got with it. Elon. He's yeah. a guy. He's, he's a made guy. No, he's a respected guy. Keep going. Feel the need to make these moral condemnations all the time. He was willing to meet with Kim Jong Un. He was willing to meet with Putin and and Xi Jinping, and he avoided. Uh, criticizing them personally. He didn't call them dictators. He talked about how smart they are. Yeah. It's the art of the deal, right? I mean, at the end of the day, he's looking to do business. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that, Tom, when you hear Shamat here? Well, I'll tell you what I tell you what I think. I think you've got Silicon Valley thinkers there that are backing up against the backdrop of, of of calming number one, they've calmed down since Trump. Number two, they back they have a backdrop to step back. And number three, now they have a little bit of history and a little bit of um perspective in terms of what's happening now versus then. And they're getting back to it and saying, I go from being a Hillary voter to seeing perspective and honestly saying, you know what? I should have gotten this a bigger race. 
I should have given this a much a bigger raise in my you know, rating than I did. And I think that is probably on the mind of more people than want to admit okay, it. So let me ask this question. Then. Yeah. Let me ask this question of all of you here. So it, it is this crisis in Israel, okay, and Hamas, obviously tragic, worse since the Holocaust. We've all seen the videos. We're following the story closely. Is this helping Trump or is this helping Biden? Okay, you know, especially with Biden's 60 minutes or, you know, even in the 60 minutes when the 60 minute interviewer says, you know, even though the president seemed so tired, he felt this was so important for him to do this. It's as if 60 minutes is defending how tired the president is. Right. But is this helping Biden? Okay, for him to stand firmly on Israel and backing them up. Is this helping Trump? Did the numbers change at all? What, what do you think? What, what, how this is helping? I, out? I think. Let for, me go to Adam first. Oh Adam. Well, uh, I think uh, in an odds perspective, this is helping Trump. This is my point. So the, the whole thing that Shema said is that it was marketed as an F. He said that, right? He underwritten Trump's presidency as an F. A lot of people did. That was essentially my point. And then as time went on, time heals all wounds, as they say. It went from an F to a D to a C to a final grade of a B, B plus. And I think it's, you know, people come around in all different time. Everyone has their own time horizon for when they come around to these types of notions. So at the end of the day, I think this is only going to help Trump. And, you know, Biden, he's standing strong, apparently. He's saying the right things. Apparently he's going to go visit Israel I saw that. this yeah. week. But at the end of the day, I think this does help Trump. I, first of all, Pat, it's that same media that's trying to make Biden look like he's strong and he's... It's the same media that told us that he was this evil World War III maniac that was going to get us all messed up. And, like, I think it's time for us to get pissed off, Pat, because that same media that ignored all it and tried to make us think that it was him, now, guess what? We told you so. And now it's real. Now we're on the—when people were saying that we were on the brink of World War III with uh, North Korea and everything— now it's actually in your faces. We told you, we told you that it was all BS, and now it's actually happening. We are literally on the brink of it, and it's like you can't say I can't point at them like we told you so, but like we were right. I think it's helping Trump for one simple reason. Everybody doesn't like pit bulls. Oh, I don't like pit bulls. They're 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 dangerous around kids, and you can't predict them. And then five houses on the block get broken into, and everybody wants a pit bull. That is the perspective that has come to America. And I'll break it down just that simple. And if you think I'm oversimplifying it, sorry. I think this is helping Trump. And the fact mm -hmm. they don't even talk about Biden is, is, is deafening silence. And, Pat, I like the analogy you used about the mafia boss. Would you? I don't know if you want to unpack that again in this regard. Which one is that? Well, you said basically you know, when, when the mafia leader is strong, everyone kind of yeah. chills. Whereas, whereas the mafia boss is sort of weaker, uh, that's where chaos ensues. Yeah. Again, this is a, um, this is a that's the part about when it's peacetime, everybody hates a wartime leader like Trump. OK, everybody hates not everybody. Eighty percent hates a wartime leader like Trump because the brain is not consumed with war, anxiety and stress. So you're like, dude, you're so annoying, Trump. Stop. Like, oh, my God, everything's not a war. You don't need to fight everybody. Relax. Why are you like this, dude? Everything is peaceful. And then when it's wartime, everybody is scared shitless of having a peacetime leader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going on right now. Biden is not a wartime leader. He's a peacetime leader. 
He's a guy that's everything is peaceful. You come in at 9 o'clock. You leave at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody can tell. It's okay. You're a peacetime guy. You don't work that hard. You don't, you're not always on the screen. You're not always talking good. I don't have to see this guy. Like Bill Burr almost said, you know, I kind of prefer my presidents to only see them once every six months like my mother-in-law. I don't, you know, I don't, or some of the girlfriends that you don't like. I don't want to see her too often. I kind of feel like that's the kind of president we have right now. But when it's wartime, you know everybody misses the wartime leader. Yep. You know who misses the wartime leader? Even the people that hated the wartime leader. Yeah. And that's the most interesting dynamic to see. That motherfucker, again, just kind of a big piece of shit. But you know what? We kind of need him right now, dog. Yeah. We kind of need him right now. Hey, Chamberlain. Yeah, what's up? You're not a wartime leader, bro. You got to go knock on the door and call that guy you hate the most. I'm not calling him. You got to call him. You're the only guy that he's willing to listen to to come back. You got to go beg him to come because he's the only guy that can go up against this guy named Adolf. I'm not going to go after him. He's a piece of... You're the only guy that he has to hear it from. The only person that can make him come back is you. You better do it to save this country. You better do it to save the world. Hey, uh, Winston, I can't stand you, but we need you back as a prime minister. What do you say? We need you back as a prime minister. Say it one more time. Yeah. We need you back as a prime minister. Who's your daddy? Yeah. You're, you're my daddy. Okay, I'll come back. <laughs> yeah. Then Churchill comes back and he fights and wins the war, and all of us now speak English instead of speaking German. Yep. Okay? That's exactly right. There's an element of this taking place today that people are paying attention to. But I want to kind of get your feedback on this, uh, Adam, because I know uh, the last couple of weeks you, you've given your insight on what's going on here. And it's been very interesting on talking what's going on with Israel, especially since you were there just a couple months ago. So mm-hmm. how do you react when you see, okay, a professor— Okay, a professor who, a Cornell University professor, calls Hamas terror attacks exhilarating and exciting, okay? This is Cornell University. We have a friend here that went to Cornell, uh, Dink. Uh, 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 This is a New York Post story. Cornell University, matter of fact, before I even say it, because people are like, well, you know, how do you know this is the truth? Let's just play the clip and let's let you hear what this professor at Cornell said. Rob, if you can make this bigger, it's 24 seconds. Go ahead and play this clip. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was Okay, stand with Palestine and uh, you see on the occupation whatever it says to the right. Let me finish up the story. Cornell professor. Uh, Russell Rickford sparked controversy with comments made during the pro-Palestine rally. He described Hamas's recent terror on Israel, which caused over 1,400 casualties, as exhilarating and energizing, asserting that it had shifted the balance of power and punctuated Israel's invincibility illusion. Rickford's speech at the rally included remarks that it was exhilarating, a monopoly of violence. The crowd at the rally joined in chanting, from the river of the Sea of Palestine will be free, a slogan deemed anti-Semitic by the American Jews. And let me continue with this, because remember, remember, a lot of these Ivy League schools are sitting on 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and I think Harvard's sitting on $60 billion of endowment. Many of this money has been paid by people that are pro-Israel and to the point where billionaires, this is a Daily Mail article, drop Ivy League funding over failures to condemn Hamas. Page 11, if you want to go to it. Uh, uh, 
Ivy League shocks Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, face a potential loss of $487 million in funding from prominent donors who drew support. Billionaire Ken Griffin, who pledged $300 million to Harvard, criticized the uh, university's stance on Hamas, while the Wexner Foundation, which donated $56 million over 30 years, withdrew support, expressing being stunned and sickened Israel billionaire Aiden Ofer and his wife, Batia, who donated $20 million to Harvard, resigned from an executive board. Hedge fund manager Bill Ackman, who donated $17 million to Harvard, said he won't hire students involved. Apollo CEO Mark Rowan called for donors to the University of Pennsylvania to either withdraw funding or send a dollar in protest. Former U.S. Ambassador John Huntsman Jr., whose family donated $50 million. Dollars to UPenn. By the way, John Huntsman Jr. was a former president, presidential candidate, vowed to halt the future donation, citing UPenn's silence on Hamas. Adam, when you see these stories, when you hear things being said, how do you react? So, yeah, I've been going deep down the rabbit hole of understanding the, the sympathy for Hamas, but specifically in America. Right. And uh, I came across this article. I mean, it, it, here's some numbers for you if you just kind of want to look at this. Only four in 10, 18 to 29 year olds, essentially Gen Z. And the younger millennials have a negative view of Hamas. So if you just look at the numbers, um, overall view, 51%. So red is negative, green is positive. But if you go by demographics, you can see that the millennials, Gen X, and boomers, it's all 50-plus percent negative view of a terrorist organization called Hamas. And if you see the marketing campaign that Bibi Netanyahu is doing and the rest of the democratic world is doing is that Hamas— Equals crisis, right? Yeah. But the younger generation, almost a quarter of them, does a quarter, only a quarter of them thinks that has a negative view of them. And almost, what's that, plus 30 plus percent actually have a positive view of them. I'm like, I'm trying to make some sense of this. And I came across this article, this opinion article in the Wall Street Journal, and I kind of want to um, reiterate what I basically found from that, but essentially address this exact issue of what's going on in modern day academia. So um, essentially the article was um, sort of, the title of the article was that liberals and leftists need a reckoning with anti-Semitism. And basically it, it, it tells the story of the reason that Joe Biden decided to run in 2020. And it basically dates back to what happened in 2017 in Charlottesville, the Unite the Right rally and everything that happened with that, where a white supremacist drove his car into people marching and killed um, that one young lady, right? So if you recall that, that was the famous, there were good people on oh, both, both sides, that whole speech, right? So in that, in that protest, you know, it was tiki torch carrying almost brown shirt like neo-Nazi fascists allegedly um, that were spouting things like Jews will not replace us. So traditionally we've seen the far right neo-Nazi KKK be identified with with sort of that mantra uh, of uh, anti-Semitism and um, everything that comes along with white supremacy. But things have shifted. So now it's not as angry and violent and uh, in your face as it once was. Now it's sort of taking place on the beautiful, green, leafy campuses of the progressive left, whether that's the Harvard, whether it's the Cornells, whether it's the Berkeleys, it's happening all over this country. And if you just look at the numbers right there, Gen Z, the progressive social democratic left uh, via academia are being indoctrinated into this worldview. So uh, you have our, our youth, our college students, focusing on things like oppression, white privilege, 
the hyper obsession with race, identity, sexual orientation, and everything that, that applies to what is perceived as power and the patriarchy, and essentially what comes down to anti-white men, so the, the social justice warriors uh, of America. But here are the two points that they basically harp on. There's two words that I wasn't really too familiar with, but I was like, all right, what does these things mean? They talked about intersectionality, and they talked about decolonization. We're all familiar with America and colonization and imperialism and all that fun stuff like that. So here's the core ideology of the far left progressive woke agenda. So intersectionality, that all the victims of discrimination uh, are on the basis of race, sex, and sexual or orientation are all interlinked. It's all So if you're oppressed, you're all interlinked into one common theme, okay? So the purported victims of this oppression uh, are the most enthusiastic, ironically, of... Uh, the oppression of against the other groups. So, for instance, if you see the gay rights, if you've seen the gays for Palestine, this is the cognitive dissonance that's going on in the modern woke academia left. The gays for Palestine, they're holding up signs, gays for Palestine. The most ironic part of that is if you tried to do the gays for Palestine march in Palestine or in the majority of Middle East countries, you would be executed. <laughs> yep. You would be stoned, you would be hung, you would be headed. So good luck doing that in the country that you are supporting. The cognitive dissonance is alarming to me. Okay, so that's point one. Um, by the way, Israel is the only country that actually is totally fine with LGBTQ rights. Yeah. When I was in Israel, it was like Tel Aviv was one of the gayest things I've ever seen. Whatever. Like, fine. I mean, I'm not gay, but do you do And, you, and this is Sam Adam, that's mm -hmm. off just like the Mia Khalifa, the porn girl that's exactly. like, that's like, I pro-Palestine. Pro don't, don't top your head Go off. Go be an OnlyFans porn yeah, star while wearing a hijab on, on the, the flag. flag. You're dead. Go, you're dead. Yeah. But in America, it's so freaking and in, funny. And in, and in point two. democratic countries, you can say whatever you want to say. Yeah. Point number two is the decolonization component, right? So that's the disposing of the dead white males throughout history. Politicians, poets, artists, authors, all that. And the resistance of the oppressed includes what is an armed struggle to get their lands and lives black, back, okay? So it, it, what it essentially comes down to is logic is thrown out the window. It's just pure emotion, it's pure rage, it's pure cognitive dissonance, and this is what they're grappling with when you have a professor basically saying, I'm so enthused by the death of, of what's perceived as the oppressors, whereas good luck doing those types of rallies, talks in those types of countries. Great uh, point. Tom. I, I think it's... I think you can simplify that a little bit, and I, I understand the academic angle there. What you have is, if you look at those charts, you've got the youth that are, that are split, and it's not liberal extremism. It's Marxism that's mixed in. It's deeper than just, oh, they're liberals, they're extreme liberals. Yeah, they are extreme liberals, but they're Marxists. You listen to AOC, it's not extreme uh, liberalism, it's Marxism. Listen to the squad, listen to very carefully. And you look at their grandparents here, and by the way, it's much more than 50%, Adam, it's 75%. 64% there is very negative, and then quite negative. So you've got 75% of the boomer grandparents, you've got 73% of the boomer parents, and then it moves down in these two recent generations. That, my friend, is a graph showing you what happens when you move to 
extreme left ideology and Marxism on campus. You know what that that's tells what's, me? That's what's going on. You know what that tells me? You know, 18 to 29, 23% very negative, okay, of Hamas. 17% quite negative. Then you got 60% that either don't know, neither quite positive or very positive. Okay, who do those 18 to 29-year-olds spend the most time with? Professors, colleges, mm -hmm. universities. So guess what? America, I love the fact that these guys are not funding these universities right now because you know what they're saying? They're voting finally. And by the way, these are Democrats that are not voting for giving them money. The only guy here that's a Republican that was Ken Griffin. Everybody else was pretty much on the left. Saying so you screwed up my kids and grandkids. And you know who no Wexler more money. is? You know who Wexler is? Wexler is the guy that, you know, he bought that building 9-11. Yeah, he is connected to the 9-11. If you really want to find out who Lex yeah. Wexler is, go type in Les Wexler 9-11 and, and good luck. You'll be distracted for a couple hours but you know these guys to say we're not doing that anymore why because they realize you send your kids the way you raise them for 18 years they come back and they're like dude you're not my kid what the hell happened to you the last four years well daddy they brainwashed me into thinking you're a moron you're an idiot you have no clue what you're talking about and these are professors that are sitting there all they want to do is give you a lip service and there's no exchange yeah. I'm a college professor. I know what I'm talking about here. You no go debate. out and do that. Anyways. No, and, and Pat, not to cut you off, wait, I, I'd be interested to see if, God forbid, one of these Hamas people that are you know coming over through the border mm -hmm. blow themselves up or some shit in front of one of these idiots that has no idea what the hell's going on. See how you, see how you feel when it hits home because mm -hmm. it's coming. I don't care what anybody says. You know it's coming. In, the last, in the last 72 hours, um, Border has said that they have found four known Iranian Let's just call them terror, troublemakers. Terror mm -hmm. on the terror watch list. Correct. So all this pro, all this pro pro Hamas. Wait till some shit blows up in front of your face and yeah, let's see how just, your attitude that's changes. That's not that's not 100 Mexicans that are no. trying to flee. The, terrible, terrible things that are going way, on in Mexico and, and with the cartels. I'm happy let's you call said it that. what it is. They're practically refugees. That, but in the middle of that, it's not 100 people that are really looking for a better life. It's people yeah. taking advantage of the river humanity to hide inside it and to get here. Yeah, and exactly. And, and going back again on this whole everybody from the left changing their attitude, it was all Trump. Mexicans are rapists. It's like, bro, the Mexicans are going back to Mexico. I've seen videos where they're literally crying and going back because of how shitty it is over here. And it's not it's not Mexicans. It's everybody is coming here. And it, it's when the CIA is warning us of some shit well, going on. what's down, happened to San Diego, you don't blame them. They get it, to San Diego and they say, wait a minute, where's all the pictures of the of the yachts and all the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, I just want to add one thing to what you said about the, uh, the Marxism that's going on campus. Rob, would you just Google political horseshoe? Here's one of the things I've learned definitely since being at Valuetainment and understanding just like, just getting smarter, getting more informed, trying to understand how things exist. We're used to, uh, go to images if you don't mind. Um, you, you think of political ideology on the spectrum that's almost linear. So you have the far left and you have the far right, okay? But the, the actuality is that the political spectrum is more like a horseshoe. So where you have the far left, the socialist, Marxist, communist, uh, authoritarian regimes, and then you have the very far right, uh, fascist, neo-Nazi, far right nationalist regimes – that you think that they're diametrically opposed and they're on opposite side of the spectrum, but it's not linear. It basically comes into a horseshoe where they sort of meet in the middle and it just meets at authoritarian intolerance and just complete destruction of whoever does not agree with your viewpoint. And that's, I think that's something that you, someone might say, well, why, how does the far left socialist Marxist on campus identify with the far right yeah. uh, Muslim terrorist organizations? It's, because the horseshoe is what's connecting them. Because uh, politically, they are not 
inclined whatsoever to agree with each other other than the this is my view and you will not change my viewpoint and I will die for this viewpoint. Then you make a really good point. And for people that don't know this, go, go, go study that. But meanwhile, keep listening for a second. Look how close. Remember, Hitler suppressed speech mm-hmm. and then changed, as said Stalin. And Stalin made one newspaper under glass that sat in the public square called the Pravda. Pravda is a Russian word that means truth. Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. And that was there. And then, <clears throat> so what do you see AOC doing? We, we are using American social media leaders to cancel conservative voices. We do not want them to be heard. That's AOC. That's the squad. Then go all the way and look at the history of fascism and how they suppress speech. And that, that horseshoe meets right there where we can look and see, even if you don't believe in horseshoe theory, just listen closely. Did Hitler suppress speech? Did Stalin? Is AOC? They eventually meet and they agree, you know what? Our opponents need to shut up. No, no, we need to shut them up. Correct. Okay, let me read this next part about Iran uh, uh, on what Iran is saying and what U.S. is saying to Iran. So Iran warns uh, Israel through U.N. against ground offensive in Gaza. This is an Axios story. Iran, Iran warned Israel through U.N. against a ground uh, offensive in Gaza, expressing a desire to avoid further escalation. Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir uh, Abdullahian met with U.N. envoy, envoy Tor Wenesland and stressing Iran's reluctance to see the conflict turn into a regional war and expressing a willingness to help release hostages held by Hamas. Amir Abdulholyan, however, indicated that Iran would respond if Israel pursued a ground operation in Gaza. Here we go. The involvement of Iran in the Hamas-Israel conflict could potentially lead to a broader regional war. The U.S. has tempted, attempted to deter Iran and its ally Hezbollah from joining the fighting and has deployed an aircraft carrier group and fighter jets to the region. And... So, so that's the Axios story, if they do something. And then Iran, U.S. is turned around. U.S. warns Iran against escalating Israel-Hamas war into regional. This is Financial Times story. U.S. President Joe Biden st- st- sternly cautioned Iran, saying, don't, 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 don't. When asked about Iran's potential involvement in escalating the Israel-Hamas conflict into regional one, he also emphasized the need for a Palestinian state stating Hamas must be eliminated entirely, but there needs to be a Palestinian authority and a path to Palestinian state. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan conveyed the existence of a private communications with, uh, with Iran to deter escalation, highlighting the risk of a broader conflict and Iran's potential involvement, noting there's a risk of an escalation of this conflict, the opening of a second front in the north, and, of course, of Iran's involvement. That is a risk. Tom, when you see this, okay, and you hear the story where the number just came up to 50% chance of World War III. Ray Dalio is talking about that. Jamie Dimon, this is the most dangerous we've had, times we've had in decades. And now the fear of Iran telling Israel, don't get involved through UN. U.S. telling Iran, do not get involved and bring in Hezbollah. How ugly can this thing be? Or is it already ugly where there's point of no return? Isn't it interesting that Pat is reading a story from the Financial Times? And that is exactly where the world is running. There's three centers of real financial strength in the world. And one of them is New York. One of them is Hong Kong. One of them is London. There's others. So you can put it in the chat and get all upset with me. But those are the anchors. And the Financial Times is reporting kind of what I was talking about a little earlier in the podcast is like they everyone is telling Iran, and by the way, Iran is also a source of energy. They're, they're an oil producer. And so everyone is like, dude, you need to stay in your corner. Everybody wants to do everything they can to keep Iran to stay in its corner. Because if Iran, if Hezbollah says, we're going to Syria, we need guns. And Iran says, I'll give you all you want. It's sort of like us the way 
wait, we've been giving um, weaponry to Ukraine. We do not want Iran giving weaponry to Hezbollah. And this is exactly what Jamie Dimon and others are talking about, saying that move on the chessboard is the bad move. So we all need to be talking to Iran, take them for coffee over the weekend, get them to calm down and not step into this thing. Well, Pat, it's almost like we're instigating, though. If we if we did that deal for the hostages and then we just give them, you know, $6 billion, it's almost like we're inviting them because you know where that money was going to go. Mm-hmm. There, there's no hiding it it's almost like we're pushing them pushing them pushing them because at the end of the day don't do this or if you do this we're going to do this it's inevitable pat to answer the question tom at the end it's 100 percent inevitable everybody is fighting and if that if you can't see that it's it's going to be a world war then you're just you're just blind bro you're, you're blind we're pushing we want yeah. it to happen we, we everybody's put everybody's like um in Congress, they're like, you know, if Iran does anything, who's that? Who's that? The congressman Pat that was like, Iran, we'll blow up your oil. It's like, what are you guys? Oh, you're talking about Lindsey. Lindsey Graham. Graham. It's like, what yeah. the hell are you guys talking about? Bombing shit? No, like, no, no. Shut up. Relax. No, no, no. They'll, they'll just shut it off. They'll oh, shut it off. Oh, yeah. Right now, there is a blockade. And the blockade is USS Gerald Ford. We're not there to bomb anything. We're off the coast of Gaza telling everybody in the rest of the world, do not screw with this situation. This is a blockade. Do not let anything go in. Do not help. And so that's what's happening there. The same thing will happen to Iran. We will shut off the pipelines. No one will be sending tankers into that gulf. No one. That's how you get to Iran. You just shut off the money supply to the oil. Now, they've got the backdoor money supply, which goes to Russia and the oil trade and things like that. But there will be a blockade. Lindsey Graham is just being too much of the big war hawk there. Need to calm down. There's plenty of ways to step on Iran's uh, air hose. And if you don't think that's what's being discussed over the weekend with ambassadors, you're not paying attention. Yeah, I think what we've seen over the last four, eight, 20 years for that matter is just the polarizing shift whether the democrats or the republicans come in how to deal with the quagmire that is iran and nobody can speak more about that than pbd but every four to eight years all right cool let's give them money let's uh, let's uh take let's unplug their nuclear arsenal all right let's give them money so they can plug and let's give them hostages we keep reversing course on what we're going to do with iran and, and make no mistake about it whether it's Hamas, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's the Houthi rebels that's going on in the proxy war that's in Yemen uh, versus Saudi Arabia, Iran is the tip of the spear. Darfur. Darfur, exactly. So until we figure out how we're going to deal with the uh, world nuisance that is Iran, where their greatest exporter for the last, since 1979, has been terrorism, um, we're just going to keep running to this problem because we can keep playing whack-a-mole with Hamas and Hezbollah and all this, but Iran is the situation that needs to be deal- dealt with. And make no mistake about it, um, the people of Iran, beautiful people, a beautiful culture, a- a- as-, as good as it gets uh, type of people you'll find, they have no love for their absolute theocratic authoritarian mullah regime. If they had the power to rid themselves of this nuisance, they would do it in a second. Fortunately, they cannot do it. But the part, exactly, and that is yeah. essentially the Guilty problem. Guilty by association. And, and then it's it's... I think from solutions, I think there needs to be some. I don't know if it exists. I can't. I can't think of one. A bipartisan uh, uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, House, just put it all together on the Iran situation and how to deal with that because it, it just keeps moving. And you they know, keep moving you, know what, you know what scares me a lot. I will tell you what concerns me a lot. 
Remember that one video where these comedians made the video showing the mom that comes up and she pulls the uh, LGBTQ flag and the teacher reacts and her son is sitting there and the teacher tells the son, shut up. Yeah. And then you realize these guys are actors. Yeah, they're actors. And actresses. But that video has gotten a few billion views online and it's produced a lot of emotions. Yeah. Okay. What percentage of people that shared that video know it's fake? What percentage of people that shared out of the two billion people that I watched that video total? What percentage do you think know it's a fake video? It's not real. It's a fake video. Twenty-five. Twenty-eighty against. Okay, eighty percent. One point six billion are convinced that video is real and it produced emotions. Okay, these deep fake videos that could come out. Okay, and what do deep fake videos do? That, that's the video right there. What do deep fake videos do? Deep fake that video right there. Yeah. What do deep fake videos do? Deep fake videos get emotions high, it gets you angry, it gets you to hate, but most importantly, it gives you permission to say it's okay for them to kill the other people, mm -hmm. okay? These deep fakes could be any kind of videos that are out there, okay? Uh, uh, both sides could have deep fake videos to show, to validate what they're doing. Think about it from CNN. CNN will not show a black man killing a white person. They won't do it. Never. CNN won't highlight the story of a black man killing a black man. But CNN will show a white man killing a black man for 24-7 for weeks until they get so much anger in their audience to react to it, right? Jesse Smollett, did you see that these two black mega people came in? It's like, oh, shit, now that it's a fake story? Oh, so a next story, a, a yeah. cat uh, got into a fight with a dog, and <laughs> there was racism involved in this yeah. fight between a cat and a dog because the cat was black and the white the dog yeah. was a white poodle. It's yeah. genocide. Yeah, Those yeah, dogs are yeah. trying to eliminate so, the cats. But, but here's the part that we, we as viewers, we, you and I that's watching this year, we have to be very, very careful for our own side to not use that against us and for the opposition to not use it against us because – what happens when emotion goes super, super high, then all of a sudden we make emotional decisions and we look back a month, three months, six months, 12 months later, 10 years later, and we say, damn, we were like, we were part of the problem. That was a major, major problem that led to a catastrophic event worldwide. Tension is so high right now that it's making me want to question everything. For example, on the last podcast when we had uh, Charlie Kirk on, what was the one of the questions I asked uh, uh, Charlie was, how did Israel not know Hamas was going to attack? Mm -hmm. Okay, great question. And then Forbes comes out and says this, you know, conspiracy to go viral with claims about Israel-Hamas conflict, go a little lower, you know, and, and uh, he's calling a, he's calling Charlie Kirk and standoff down. Keep going all the way down, keep going all the way down, keep going all the way down about the whole story on the PBD podcast, this, this, that. And then while they're writing this, then they have another story that comes up from Forbes. This video with Charlie, this clip got tens of millions of views on Twitter, on TikTok. It fully went viral, this clip when the question was asked. But you know what else is a good question to ask? Here's the other question. The question is, Egypt can save Gaza's civilians. This is from Wall Street Journal. Egypt can save Gaza's civilians. Israel is taking measures to... Protect civilians in Gaza's operation. Warning: 1.1 million civilians to evacuate. By the way, 50 percent of people that live in Palestine are kids. Wow. And uh, the northern Gaza Strip, while the Hamas intentionally uses civilians as a uh, human shields, as noted by German Foreign Minister Annalena uh, Barbak, Hamas brings nothing but suffering and death. It is Hamas's uh, perfidious, uh, perfidious strategy to use the civilian population as a human shield. Egypt, the only escape route for Gaza civilians, maintains strict. Entry quotas 
as a Rafah crossing, uh, fearing the infiltration of Hamas terrorists. This hampers the evacuations of civilians with 800 allowed to leave on Monday. 800. They're asking 1.1 to leave. Egypt is saying only 800 are allowed as of Monday. The crossing reportedly closed uh, recently. International pressure, uh, especially from the United States, should encourage Egypt to open the Rafah crossing to prevent a humanitarian crisis and help break Hamas's control over Gaza civilians. Here's a question. Who knows Palestine and Gaza better, us or Egypt? Egypt. Egypt. Why isn't Egypt allowing them to cross the border? Why are we so liberal in America with allowing people to come across the border? How many terrorists were found? Four Iranian people, Rob, if you want to pull up that Last story. Last 48 you just put hours. Up. Yeah, uh, pull this one up. Uh, uh, you just had it up a couple minutes ago. When you find it, I'll show it. Daily Mail pitch. And this is just recently. This four. is just recently. Yeah. No, Rob just had it up. Four Iranians considered a terrorist threat caught at the U.S.-Mexico border as crossers from countries with links to Israel were, were spikes, right? So I wish U.S. treated the border of people coming up from Mexico the same way Egypt protected mm-hmm. their border of people coming down to their country because, you, you know, what's Egypt's responsibility? Who's their number one priority? Their country. Citizens. Their people. Of course. Who else's responsibility is that? So to me, the same question I have of how does Israel, the number one secret at- intelligence organization in the world, Mossad, you didn't know Hamas was going to do this? And then to the people like, that's right, Israel knew this was going to happen. They wanted you guys to fall for it. And mainstream media has been behind it. To all the people that are liking that story, my question back to you is, if the people of Gaza, Palestine, uh, 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 Hamas, are so friendly and gentle and kind that you say they are, no one knows them better than their next-door neighbor. Who knows your neighbor better than you on what they do on the weekends if you've lived next to them for hundreds of years? You're going to know when they barbecue. You're going to know when they talk shit. You're going to know when they do parties. You're going to know how drunk they get. You're going to know that auntie that comes out of fights break out. You're going to know which kid is a trouble. You're going to know who sneaks in girls in the back. You're going to know all of that stuff. And if you do, why do you say, nope, you guys can't come here? Why would you say that? Both are very valid questions. You asked this question last week. You got me thinking about it, about the whole thing where, hey, Egypt, if you want to do something about it, let them in. Why don't you? It's a valid question. So to both sides, if you can't entertain two ideas at the same time and be willing to be wrong, you're just as much as part of the problem as the people that are going, no, I'm only going to believe this side. You're the problem. You have to entertain both ideas to see what's really taking place here or else you're causing the emotions to go high for us to make some dumb decisions that could cost millions of people's lives. This is not one of those stories that could end up being only 5,000 people, 5,800 people. This could go like this. Ready? You ever seen these fires in California? The the boom. One little match. Boom. And then, And the wind. The Santa Ana winds. Blows it. Hawaii, the wind. Boom. Boom. Done. Game over. It could go that quickly. So, make sure... You and I, if you watch this, some of you watch this because you love what we have to say. But many of you also watch this because you hate what we have to say. But the few of you that watch it because we do our best to be fair to entertain both ideas, that group, we have to be louder. We have to be louder to get people to entertain both ideas. That's my biggest concern with this thing here. My concern is that people are going to jump to conclusion without weighing both options, and then all of a sudden, boom, we have World War III. And we're sitting there saying, how did 82 people in our community in Florida die? 
How did 17 innocent kids in school in Kansas City die? How did 29 people like that kid that got, who's the kid? That, did you see the, the two uh, uh, young kids in Chicago? What was the one that just happened? And there was one in Texas, too, uh, I think. Yeah, these stories. Dude, what did these kids do? Yeah. These kids didn't do anything. Yeah. This is the Muslim boy killed and woman wounded in Illinois, hate crime motivated by Israel Hamas war. Yeah. You can go to the other side. Stories on both, both sides, sides mm-hmm. taking place everywhere. This is right the beginning. Now. And by the way, this is just the beginning. Trust you know. me, America. Especially those that you live in America. Trust me, America. You don't want this. Okay? You do not want this. There's a reason why fire is so up right now and people are worried because they're worried that this could come to their backyard. And FYI, if you're listening to this, you could be a part of that problem because you and I are just seeing one side of the story. That's all I have to say. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me put on my pretend I'm a diplomat hat. So, Pat, when you left Iran in 1990... What year did you leave Iran? November 28th. No, no. When I left Iran was July 15th, 89. Okay, July 89. You didn't go just go straight to America. You didn't go straight to Germany. You lived in a what? Refugee, Refugee camp. camp in Germany. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm going to be a diplomat and try to provide a solution, you know, Israel, Gaza, where they're, where they're, what separates them from Egypt, which I totally agree that there should be a border crossing safe haven for refugees, is something called the Sinai Peninsula. A refugee camp should be set up, established, and vet everyone that comes into these camps. How was your family vetted like crazy? Like, did they did they want to understand who your father was, who you were? You were probably ten years old at the time. But I'm assuming all the young men, women included as well, but specifically the military age men, were completely vetted before you were let into the country, or certainly until you were let in America. Similar to yeah, if you if you just kind of punch in on the Sinai Peninsula right there, so. That's a a solution that could be done here because you can't just – basically, here's what's happening. Israel is basically saying, get the hell out of Gaza. We are coming full force for Hamas. We do not want to kill civilians. Please leave. Now, what is Hamas saying? Saying, stay. We need you. We need you to stay here. Why? Because Hamas uses its citizens to protect Hamas. Whereas Israel uses the IDF to protect its citizens. Let me say that again. Hamas uses its citizens to protect Hamas as human shields. Whereas the IDF will use, uh, will protect its citizens. So if you, if, if, um, if Israel, if Hamas put down all their guns, all their weapons, there would be peace. If Israel put down all their guns and all their weapons, they would all be dead. The moral equivalency is not even close. So, what what by the way if you've seen the speaking of egypt let me just highlight some of the countries that have come out pro israel anti israel pro hamas here are the countries that have basically come out pro israel so you just figure out what side you stand on for the countries that i'm about to name countries that are pro israel usa the uk germany france italy india canada australia new zealand and 70 other democratic free countries countries that are anti israel pro hamas Iran, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, China, Venezuela. I mentioned Turkey twice. Um, And all the communist authoritarian regimes. Again, the horseshoe. Notice a country that wasn't mentioned. They're just sort of monolithic and they're not saying anything right now. Egypt. They're like, dude, we can't come out and promote peace with Israel, even though they have peace with Israel. But in no way, shape or form, using the neighbor analogy, are we coming out condoning what's going on here? Being and no one knows Hamas. them better than their neighbor. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So if if um, yeah, the the thing to me that it, 
in a, you know, civilians, um, the objective of Hamas is to kill civilians. The objective of the U.S. Army, the IDF, whether it's the U.K., actually democratic, normal, modern world countries, is the intention to not kill civilians. And at the end of the day, I was actually watching an interview uh, on the BBC. It was uh, the former prime minister, Naftali Bennett. He said this. He goes, let me ask you something. He asked this to the reporter. Let me ask you, let me ask you something. If someone was shooting at you and your family and they were hiding behind civilians, what would you do? Would you shoot back? Answer that. If, so everyone should answer that. If someone was shooting at you, shooting at your family, and they were standing behind civilians, okay, what would you do? What would you do, Ben? I'm shooting. You're yeah, shooting back. Kill, obviously. It's kill or be killed. <clears throat> 100%. So if, if someone's trying to kill you, you have two choices. Try to kill them or be killed. Yeah. And that's essentially the situation that's going on in Israel right now is that they're literally trying to kill them. Yeah. And they're like, dude, I don't want to have to kill innocent civilians, but you leave me no choice. Yep. And that's essentially the problem. And Pat, that's going on Pat right you, you mentioned this. Uh, Forbes wrote the article about conspiracy theorists, like they're saying uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, that uh, Israel knew uh, Hamas would attack, right? Then they contradict themselves. They write an article the next day that says U.S. intelligence reports included warnings from September and October that the CIA and other uh, Middle Eastern allies knew. And so they could have prevented it. So and, and follow me, Pat. Like uh, and they're acting like it doesn't matter. But we sh they should have been on high alert. They were warned September 28th. They're warned oct October 5th. It's it, it's just crazy. Like. When are we going to stop pretending that nobody knew? And when are we going to hold people accountable? For instance, they asked John Kirby uh, at the White House, a uh, uh, reporter, for the massive security failure. You know what his answer was? Now is not the time. Like everybody, no, no, no. I think it's, of course now is the time. We're moving forward. They're about to attack. I mean, dude, this is like a godsend, I guess, so some more children could leave. You know why they haven't invaded in Gaza, Pat? The weather. There's weather, so everybody's slowing down. Thank God, so hopefully more... Kids get out of there, but like, like decisions are being made. Just like in um, with when we uh, invaded Iraq, we went in on weapons of mass destruction, war, war, war. Then we bombed the shit out of everybody, and then they're like, oh, by the way, no weapons of mass destruction. Like, it's too late. Answers need to be answered, mm -hmm. right? The questions need to be answered. And here's my question: Charlie brought this up. At is it so far fetched? Is it, I'm, I'm being genuine that a leader that's kind of you know controversial is not going that good for him. There's brink of civil war in your in your country, is is it crazy to let an event like what just happened happen to unify everybody so nobody looks at you and they all look at the issue? And if it is true, I'm going to ask you, Adam, if it is true that this genuinely happened, they had intelligence because the proof is in the pudding, it looks like they did, and they kind of went like this and let their people die, okay? Same type of shit with 9-11. What, what, what then? What do the, Adam, real question, what so, yeah. do the people do? I'll what do you that. do? I'll answer that. I mean, and Charlie Kirk brought up the question, was a stand-down order uh, ordered? Yeah. Um, I think it's two things. I think it's, number one, fair to ask that question. 100%. But I also think it is unfair to draw a conclusion. Okay. We don't know. Do okay. you know with 100% certainty? No, no, I don't know. Correct. But, so, but, but my question but is, fair right now, ask the question. Okay, ask the question. But to but, draw the conclusion okay. that... Bibi Netanyahu gave a stand-down order. I think is very no. unfair and very okay. uninformed Wait. by anyone who's asking. But, that. but no, but but here's my question: the fact that there's proof that the CIA knew, 
intelligence knew, Egyptians warned them days before, and this still happened in a place that is the most secure place besides us. I mean, I, I would say that loosely. Like, right now is the time to answer. Like, everybody, I know you guys, you're going to war, but time out for one second. How the hell did you not ra like raise the flag, put security, beef up security? And, and I get what you're saying. It's the question needs to be answered now, not in two years where we go backwards and all these people are dead and we go, oh, shit, you know what? We kind of knew. And, uh, you know, this guy over here messed up with the intelligence and didn't run it up the flagpole. That's I, bullshit. I think Adam has a point there. You can go back and you can look at World War II and Pearl Harbor. And there's books that were written that FDR and the American intelligence knew the Japanese would try to bomb Pearl Harbor. And that's why the aircraft carriers weren't there. They were all out on patrols. They were all out on there. Well, what genius figured out that if the Japanese were going to attack something, they were coming by boat? Yeah. <laughs> go, go take yeah. a look at the map. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I they don't know coming. what other way they would have arrived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people that say that. <clears throat> and now you have to say the conclusion. So I'm with Adam on this one. The conclusion would be FDR sacrificed 2,000 men at Pearl Harbor so he could get into, into the Pacific War mm -hmm. with Japan. No, it was good strategy to keep the aircraft carriers out. Was there bad intelligence or an incomplete intelligence? Yeah, but books have been written over the course of of history of coulda, shoulda, did you know, when you know. But, but I have a hard time believing that Bibi Netanyahu wanted to sacrifice Israeli citizens to get into the war and to permanently remove Gaza as his excuse to get in, just as I don't believe that FDR left, Tom, what left year us was that, vulnerable though? in Pearl Harbor. Tom, what year so was that? What, what, year, what year was Pearl Harbor? 1941? 1941. This is 2023. Our technology, bro, we have satellites that can look through people's houses. And my cousin Mike told me that, Pat, one of his guys that's in but we're talking about the, we're talking about. I agree. No, we're talking with you. about intelligence I, from Vinny, 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 Israeli intelligence and our intelligence. I agree on the. How the, do you the not know? How do you not know? I agree on the technology, but we're talking about the same human decision. Whether you're dealing with boats in World War II or you're dealing with Gaza and paragliders, is would that leader trigger be? To get his country triggered into the war, sacrifice people. It's the same moral well, and, decision. And my, and my question was, I just posed the question. I said, is it so far-fetched that a human being, or Netanyahu, Bush Jr., all these assholes, to me, I'm not calling Netanyahu, I'm talking about Bush Jr., mm -hmm. you mean to tell me like it's so far-fetched that weapons of mass destruction, because of Bush Jr.'s decision of they have these weapons, he's not stupid, Tom. They got us into that war and then changed the name of the war after it was said by, by and the done. way by the way here's here's what i think for the non emotionally involved party we should entertain all those ideas okay for the non emotionally involved party we should all uh, entertain all of those ideas if i'm in the military guess what i'm writing down i'm writing down all possibilities i'm if i'm if i'm working with the president right now and I'm one of the advisors president biden says oh, hey pvd what do you think happened here it's okay let's look at this is how we look at the decision all right, let's look at five things. Hamas, in the last 10 years, have advanced their military so much that they're apparently better than Mossad, better than CIA, better than Navy SEALs, better than Special Ops, better than IDF, better than everybody. Maybe that is a possibility. What's the percentage behind that? Put a possibility. 1%, One. 2%, 5%. Okay, fine. One. They're underground, you know, tunnels. whatever tunnels they built. It's so advanced, and that's what they're doing. Cool. Let's put that as a possibility. Two, you know, Netanyahu needed confirmation from the world to be able to attack that because he saw the case study 
of how Russia went against uh, Ukraine. And in this situation, where things he thinks would be different, in this situation, he is Russia. But in this situation, the world and NATO would defend Russia. Meaning, where NATO defended Ukraine, in this situation, Ukraine is Hamas. Let's just say, I'm okay. saying like, yeah, not I Hamas, you. but I Palestine. You. I got you. And Russia is Israel. But imagine if Russia attacks Ukraine and NATO defends Russia. What would happen to Ukraine? Oh, my God. Within a week, they're what? They're done. Finito. Imagine if we gave Russia $100 billion. There is no Ukraine. Ukraine is not part of Russia, right? It's Russia now. In this case, Israel's the superpower, the Middle East, let's just say, from the military side. Okay, so maybe Israel did this to get the world permission of, you know, the six-hour stand-down, all that stuff. Okay, that is a possibility. Mr. President, what percentage do you think that's there? Let's put a number there, whatever that percentage is. Number three, maybe what's going I would go through all of these scenarios and collectively ask for intel, get the smartest guys there, and ask the question, why isn't uh, Egypt letting people in? If Egypt, if, if they're so great, why aren't they letting them in? What is the chance of Iran getting involved here? Who's Russia going to defend? Is if if you know Israel does attack Gaza and wipes out twenty thousand people, Iran's going to call Hezbollah and Hezbollah attacks. Is do we should we believe the threat that the Hamas makes that if you attack us, we're going to kill these hostages that we have one by one by one, and we're going to air it so you can see how humiliating this is, and you're going to feel the pain. You're killing those people, so the blood's going to be on whose hands? Netanyahu's hands for yeah. killing the. I'm going to put all that stuff up. Then you have to take a risk. Nobody knows 100% what's going on. Every one of those things should be weighed. However, Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson, okay, I want to read this. And then, Rob, if you can get this clip prepared. Ben Shapiro contempts Tucker for downplaying attack on Israel. It's idiocy. It's just moral stupidity. Ben Shapiro strongly condemns Tucker Carlson, accusing him of moral stupidity and criticizing him for downplaying the recent attack. Shapiro called Tucker Carlson comparing between the Israel tragedy and drug abuse deaths in the United States, declaring he attempting, he's attempting to minimize as though America can't walk and chew gum, morally speaking, at the same time, which is absurd. I'll just let you watch this clip uh, uh, to judge it for yourself. Go ahead, Rob. A year. Now, you can call it genocide. You can call it whatever you want, but it's the death of over 100,000 Americans a year and the living death of millions Well, you can't more. call it genocide. It's not outside. genocide. So sure. I, I don't understand. Sorry, people who are addicted people to are drugs and living outside. Israel. And again, I, I want to add my voice to that because I'm a human being. But oh, sure you do. The you sound very outraged. The outrage among Republican presidential candidates was so much more intense. One of them took to a bullhorn and started yelling about it. I get it. But no one would think to do that about the 100,000 American young people murdered every year. and they Because who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? First of all, people are on bullhorns yelling about drug overdoses and the open border all the time, all the time. What is he even talking about? What he's attempting to do is minimize what happened in Israel. He's not attempting to maximize what happened in the United States. He's attempting to minimize as though America can't walk and chew gum, morally speaking, at the same time, which is absurd. And those two things are nothing alike. I'm sorry, that is not alike. It is not alike. For drug smugglers to smuggle drugs over the border, which someone then takes and shoves into their arm and then they dive in overdose. That is not the same thing. I promise you it is not the same thing as a terrorist breaking into your home and murdering your children in their beds in front of you and dragging your wife off to be raped in Gaza. That is not the same thing. Pretending that it is is a moral, it's a moral blight. It's idiocy. It's just moral stupidity at the highest level. Of course we should care about what happens with fentanyl. Of course we should care about, uh, we should close our border. Have I been unclear about this? Of course America should have closed borders when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'm on the same side as Tucker on that. I just don't understand why he's not on my side when it comes to Hamas has to be wiped off the face of the earth. Pause it right there. What exactly is the counter argument? Tom, uh, uh, Adam, go ahead. Yeah, well, 
it, it's interesting to see how this is playing out because this is sort of a fissure of what's going on in the in the Republican right. Um, in my opinion, Ben Shapiro just completely owned Tucker Carlson. Uh, let me unpack that a little bit. So the the trying to draw equivalency between what Hamas is doing or what ISIS did, whether it becomes rapes, mass murder, intentional genocide versus the active decision to consume drugs over long periods of time in some cases and then die of an overdose is completely absolutely absurd the moral equivalence knowing the risk of partying when you did it correct so it and and just like ben said do we want to fix our borders yes do we want to stop fentanyl from pouring into our country yes but at the end of the day people who are using drugs very few people take it one time and die very few it's over it's a it's a long slow process so the decision to actively take drugs heroin pills cocaine whatever the drug is and use it and use it and use it and use it and eventually die okay you're making this active decision nobody made an active decision in israel to be sitting in your homes at at six in the morning hamas busts in your door and shoots you and your babies in the head that is a totally different situation. So in my opinion, Ben Shapiro is spot on on this one, and Tucker is just blatantly wrong. Tom, uh, <clears throat> I, I have my thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I, I agree. I, you know, Tucker did not sound outraged, and it sounded like he was balancing the argument. Um, and then Ben gets pretty revved up. Uh, Ben's a hawk, and he gets pretty revved up. And I think he is correct that you can't draw moral equivalency – with a decisionless thing because you happen to be Jewish and you're attacked and a decision to be on college campus. Aren't you worried about fentanyl? Yeah, I'm worried about fentanyl. Just get one of those fentanyl test kits. You can get those test kits and you can rub the, rub the pill on it, see if there's any fentanyl in there. But yeah, there's a big difference between the two of those. And I think Tucker was, was, you know, could have done a better job and left the door open to kind of be owned by Shapiro. Here's what I would say. Number one. Um, I think I totally understand Tucker and I totally understand Ben. Okay. Number one, Tucker, what's Tucker's number one loyalty and affinity? America. America yeah. first. What are we one, talking America about? America first. He's going to sit there and say, yeah, I told, that's your problem. First of all, this Sunday we're with the family and for whatever reason, Tico and Dylan wanted to watch Zohan. Okay. I don't know if you guys know Zohan with Adam Sandler, whatever the movie, what's the movie called? Uh, the the Legend of Zohan. By the way, you know, the whole story is about how he's a IDF killer soldier Mossad comes to the U.S., wants to spy, work for yeah. Paul Mitchell, cutting care, and he goes and finally becomes this hairstylist at this salon. And the owner of the salon is gorgeous girl who's a Palestinian, and they fall in love, and they're trying to bring peace between Palestine and Israel. Yeah. What a weird movie to watch at a time like this. Jen and I are looking at each other laughing. What is going on? But at the same time saying everything he's talking about, they're talking about right now, applies to current times. Okay. Ben uh, uh, Tucker's priority is America first. Yeah. Of course he's going to be about America. He's sitting there saying, dude, these guys have been fighting for 2,000 years. You think I can stop it? Yeah. You guys have been fighting for thousands of years. One day America's going to wake up and stop you guys from fighting? It's a joke if we think this fight's going to end up anytime soon. That's how I think that Tucker sees it. But I also see Ben. Guess where Ben is from? There. That's his family. That's where he's from. Of course he's going to be protective of his homeland, his pride, you know, he, he, you know, the voice he has for the Jewish community, 100% he's going to see that from an emotional connection to it. One has to sit there and entertain both 
ideas is all I'm saying. Both could be right and both could be emotionally leaning towards whatever is protective of theirs. Yeah. Tucker's going to protect America and Ben is going to protect Israel in a way that, hey, we got to make sure this is number one priority. To Tucker, no one in the world has been able to prevent this fight from happening for 2,000 years, including God. You think you can do it? Let them fight. They're going to keep fighting. Okay? Let them fight. They're going to go back and forth. But do we want to involve our soldiers? Now, America's talking about the fact that report came out. We're preparing 2,000 soldiers to be sent out. About 2,000 U.S. troops told to prepare for deployment in response to Israel-Hamas war. Hamas war. This is an NBC story a couple days ago. Okay? I'll read the story for you to... For you to think about. So here you go. So around 2,000 soldiers, 24-hour preparation to deploy orders ready to provide support to Israel in response to the Hamas-Israel war. The troops include the diverse capabilities such as medical support and explosive handling and were previously on 96-hour standby. The U.S. has already deployed the USS uh, Dwight Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group to Eastern Mediterranean Sea, showing solidarity with Israel. The Israel Defense Forces are amassing forces at the Gaza border, a preparing for coordinated attack involving the air, sea, and the land. The conflict began in September. A significant terrorist attack by Hamas in Israel, resulting in over 2,800 casualties in Gaza and 1,400 casualties in Israel. Guess what? Those are 2,000 U.S. soldiers. Those are somebody's kids. What do you call that? And what do you call that, Pat? We're sending the uh, uh, aircraft carriers. And then, Pat, ready for this? And you were in the military. 2,000 people ready to go. They're already declared war. If we go there and we put troops on the ground, what does that mean? We're at war. Of course. We're at war. And, Pat, here's my thing with the Ben Shapiro thing, Tom. Like, Ben Shapiro, and I get it, bro. This is a horrible thing. It's, it's disgusting what happened, all the people, lives that were lost. But you can't expect other people to match your emotion in a situation and they're not invested as much as you are. I, ben is furious. I get it. I understand it. But he's expecting Tucker to have the same outrage as him. And I'm sorry. It's not. You let can't me, expect let me, that. Let me tell you, Vinny, you, you and I are in America because of Jimmy Carter. Okay? At least I'm in America because of Jimmy Carter. Okay? Jimmy Carter goes to you, Iran, and all he's talking about is human rights, human rights, human rights. 3,000 political prisoners that Reza Pahlavi had, let them loose. He lets them loose. Those 3,000 political prisoners and to, uh, led to you know, Osama bin Laden, led to all the other things that happened around the world, led to all these ISIS, all these different things. At one point, Reza Pahlavi had them. So yeah. on the outside, we're like, yeah, Jimmy Carter, yeah. human rights. Yeah. As if you know who the 3,000 political prisoners are. Was there some situations that maybe Savak and others were extreme? Of course. Yeah, just like there is stories of Mossad, just like there's stories of CIA, just like there's, of course, yes. U.S. is also not free from that situation of what CIA and, and Mossad and others have done. But what ended up happening is they ended up here. So what's my bigger concern? Here's my bigger concern. We live in America. Okay. So it's like, oh, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. Yeah, but the problem's coming through here through the border. And here's a problem. Here's a, dude, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> while you're looking there, they're coming through the border, and they're coming to your home, to your country, to your state, to your city. Yeah, but watch what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Watch what's going on in Israel and Iran. Bro, for the freaking third time, they're coming through your border. How are you protecting it? Is Egypt more concerned about their border than U.S. is concerned about our border? Can we not take yes. a page out of their playbook to sit there and say, this is why we need a border? This, is, this shouldn't be a Democratic or Republican thing. This should be an American thing to say, this is a problem. So watch this. How long does it take until they do their attack for the people that are coming here? Is it a month? No. Here? here? Yeah. Oh, is it three months? No. Is it six months? No. 
It's when everything is good, no one's paying attention. Eight years from now, we forgot about this entire mess, and then boom, boom. 6,800 people die, and you say, how did this, that's the president's fault. No, 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 no. It's going to come back to 2021, 2022, 2023, 2020, when we let the border open, all of these people came in, and during this time, half the, half the American people didn't bitch about it, and then all of a sudden you're suffering the consequences because you said it's not a big deal. We should let the people in. We should get the Democratic Party to get more stronger because it's a lot of Latino voters, and we know Latino voters are going to vote for the left if we bring them in here, and then you're going to pay the price. My concern of America First is if there's ever been a time to just say shut the border up for one year. Made a video the other day talking about policies I would do if I was a president. Obviously, I'm not running for president. The laws are not favored in that. I'm, I'm a capitalist. You know, so one of the first things I would do today, I would close the border for one year. We're not taking anybody for a year. It's a waiting list. Remember when I got out of the Army in 99, I wanted to be a firefighter. And I went to uh, the fire department in uh, Granada Hills off of uh, Devonshire and Balboa, right across the street from Ralph's. Off the 101? Uh, no, no, in uh, Granada Hills. So oh. I go to this, this recruiting station. I say, hey, I just got out of the Army, 101st Airborne Division. I'm in shape. I'm this. I'm that. I love America. I want to be a firefighter. We, we got a five-year freeze. What do you mean? 2003, it opens up. It's 99. I said, dude, you guys got to hire me. I'm fully qualified. Yeah. He says, no, there's a five-year freeze. Five years later, they open up the freeze, but it's too late at that time. I'm doing good for myself. What's the moral of the story? If the fire department can have a freeze, if the L.A. department, LAPD can have a freeze, if companies can have a freeze in their hiring, so can we have a freeze in our border for one year. Shut the southern border down. Shut it down. Close it up. Immediately build a wall. Fill it up with additional security. You want to hire 87,000 new IRS agents? Why don't you hire 30,000 new border agents? Put them there. Protect the freaking place for one year. This is no longer a joke. This is serious. You're seeing what's going on there. All the people that are fighting, you're seeing examples of the way they're doing it. Protect the southern border because that's where they're coming through. And then all of a sudden, people will say, well, yeah, that's a little extreme. Why would we do something like that? Because that's how you live. You have doors. You have walls. You live in a community where people have to ring the doorbell. So, you know, da, da, 82. Yes. Yes, uh, we're here Uber Eats. I didn't order no Uber Eats. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't let him in. Why don't you let him in? Because it's your border. It's called your apartment. It's called your house. It's called your community. If you want a border in your apartment, in your house, in your community, why don't you want a border in the southern border of America? Again, I'm not telling the people that are already with this. I'm telling the people that are saying, what's the big deal? That's what I'm talking to. Yeah, and, 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 uh, great point. And, Adam, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Here's the, the effed up thing, Pat. The border, after all this, right now, still wide open. Nothing has changed. Mallorca hasn't done anything. If you still have the attitude of what Pat just said, you know what they're going to say, Pat? You're uncaring. You're racist. You don't care. This is what America is for is, is open arms. You understand what I'm saying, Adam? It hasn't changed one iota. It's still the same that it was since all this is happening and nothing is stopping. So here's my question to you guys. Pat, what can we do, us as a people right now, to try to get that message where it's like, yo, like, shut it down. Is there anything that there's nothing we could do, right? Tom? Nothing. You got to vote. You got to talk to vote congressmen. What? No, it's right now. Right now. What's go like well, the borders? Look, wide you open. and I are not going to 
under the Second Amendment, pick up arms and go pick some part of the border that we're going to defend. That's not the way it works. You know, we we need the leadership of this country and the governors of Texas, the governor of Arizona, the governor now, uh, you know, of, um, oh, by the way, governors of Illinois and New York, because all of those people coming across were supposed to stay in those red states, yep. make life miserable for the red states, and be the replacement boat later. Yep. Look up replacement boat, people. Yep. Google that. Yeah. Instead, they are now being shipped to, not by DeSantis sending a couple buses to New York, the federal freaking government sending a dozen buses of them, dropping them in Chicago, dropping them in New York, until you have the governor of New York, governor of Illinois, saying, oh, you know, we don't need the people here. Well, look, look upstream. Where is it? So we need the governors. We need all of them to get together to say we need sensible border policy because close the border. Everybody's going to say racist. Sensible immigration policy is the way that this needs to be adopted on the wider basis. Yeah, but, and, but Tom, you said it, it's, you know, we can't, the Second Amendment, we can't just take arms and go, but in the Constitution, it's for enemies, foreign and domestic. At one point, we're going to have to be like, yo, listen, if you guys aren't doing it, we'll do it. There's enough Americans out there, bro, that'll go up there and post the hell Vinny, up and be like, yo, it's, it's enough, because he nailed it, Tom. This Vinny, might not the ranchers, hang on, I, I'm, I'm, I think you just, I appreciate your passion, but what about all those ranchers that were in Arizona that got arrested? But, 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 but yeah, Tom, I understand being arrested, but he made a great point. The government it's, did not let the citizens protect, protect their the border yeah, of Arizona. I think it's bullshit, Tom, because you know what? He he nailed it. This might not happen this week. That Hamas loser tried to be like a day of terrorism. It didn't happen. It's eventually going to happen because we have no idea who the hell we let in. Like enough is enough. When are we going to stop yapping and do shit? I'm not saying go there with a gun and be at the border, but, like, come on, man. Enough is enough. And then we keep bringing Mayorkas in Congress, and he just sits there with a smirk and smiles and laughs in our faces because they already know the damage has been done, Tom. The damage is done. The people are here. Now it's a waiting game. It's a waiting game for when they get the call to, to make shit happen, and it's going to happen. Adam, Sleep or l- let me kind of try to put a ribbon on this entire argument because it, it started off with the conversation with Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, uh, comparing the analogy of, uh, murder and execution and rape and beheadings to fentanyl crisis. I, I hear what Pat is saying, and it's reminiscent of what Trump said is build the wall, and we'll have a big, beautiful door, and we'll vet the hell out of people because we don't want this basically migrant crisis pouring through our country. Totally understand, totally understand the America First agenda. Totally get it, totally get it. What Ben Shapiro said was, you know, America should have the ability to walk and chew gum at the same time, morally speaking. America, whether you agree with this or not, we have a domestic policy and a foreign policy, uh, and it's always been that case. Are we going to be isolationists and only pretend that we exist in America in a bubble and the rest of the world doesn't exist? I think that is a nonsensical solution. It's never been be, that way. Exactly. It's never been that way. Are we going to be absolute interventionists and get and dip our toes into every single conflict that exists around the world, we'll drive ourselves crazy doing that. But so the we've point is, I've done that exactly. So the point is, there needs to be a balance, and there needs new, um, uh, nuanced perspective to how this works. So the reason that we're uh, going to bat for Israel at this point is because they're our ally in the Middle East. It's a fair exchange of value. A lot of it has to do with military intelligence and basically information that go, that occurs in the Middle East. 
Who else are we going to come to their defense? Are we coming to Iran's defense? Saudi Arabia? Are we helping Lebanon? Who do we trust there? We trust Syria, Bashar al-Assad. There are one ally that we know we can 100% depend on in the Middle East. And ultimately, here's the point. So America is a land of immigrants. We all come from someplace. So if you don't speak up when something is completely morally and historically wrong, like the murder of people intentionally, how do you let this happen? Who do you, what do you stand for, America? Who do you believe in? When do you speak out? So when this happens in Armenia and there's Armenian genocide, do we say, hey, that's none of our business? When it happens in Mexico, hey, Mexicans, hey, it's none of our business. When this happens no. in Ireland, it's hey, it's none point. of our business. No. At some point, we have to say we're freaking America. We stand for something, and we're not just going to let innocent yeah. people be murdered. But by the way, absolutely valid argument, valid point. As a person who's Armenian and seeing what's going on with Nagorno-Karabakh and Azerbaijan and all that stuff, I fully understand being emotionally there, okay? I fully understand. But he wasn't there when it was Armenia, this was happening. He wasn't fully there with all of it, right? Why? Because it should matter to you the most because it's personal. It sh this issue should be the most important thing for you because it's your homeland, right? It should be personal to me as a person who lived in Iran, and when the, the Shah was there and Israel was there, there was peace in the Middle East, and people could go for vacation in the Middle East and go to Iran. We can't do that today. Uh, uh, Armenian genocide should be emotional, personal to me, because I am half Armenian and a Syrian, and what the genocide did to Assyrians and Armenians 100% should be personal to me. But the other person that's sitting there saying, dude, should everyone's problems be mine? That person also has a very good argument to make. Look at this Wall Street Journal article that came out a couple days ago. Mexican sin and oil cartels message to members, stop making fentanyl or die. The sin and oil cartel known for exporting fentanyl to the U.S. has ordered a halt to product fentanyl production and, and trafficking within its territory, driven by pressure by, from U.S. law enforcement. The directive is attributed to uh, 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 Chapitos led by Joaquin El Chapo, Guzman's sons. Uh, uh, the Biden administration, administration has been urging Mexico to take aggressive steps to dismantle the Sinaloa cartel, which is a major fentanyl trafficking group. U.S. deaths from fentanyl have become a political issue with calls from some Republicans to send U.S. military to Mexico to battle to combat fentanyl trafficking. Some individuals in Sinaloa have faced violence and death for defying the ban while others are reluctant to shut down their operations due to strong demand for fentanyl in the U.S. So can you imagine the Mexican Sinaloa cartel is saying stop making that's it? That's a feel-good story. That's murderers with moral morals. That's a murderers with morals. But like that, even that, there. that's the Italian mob story, right? Yeah. Hey, we don't do drugs. We don't do this. We don't do that. If you do it, we're going to take you out. And if you did do it, you got in trouble, although a lot of people ended up doing it. Yeah. So it, when it's that profitable, you're going to do it. Go ahead, Tom. I mean, there's a great scene in The Godfather where, where movies sort of— give us a, a window into reality. And it's when Marlon Brando says he did not want the drugs. And he called gambling, prostitution, harmless vices. Remember the speech yeah, he beautiful. gives? And he says, I'm not in favor of the drugs. He's talking Salazzo. That's right. I'm not in favor of the drug thing. And he says, but harmless vices, I meant, you know, you don't know whether this is window dressing or whether these guys are looking, saying, listen, you know, next year there's a, an election. And a feel-good story for the Americas in the election is they send a couple Apache helicopters over here and they take out my house. Yeah. So you guys better knock it off. And as a matter of fact, maybe I need to knock off a few low-level guys to make this look good. Is it that way that they're really they're, – they're doing it and they're supported by China and they're doing it anyway, but they're running a PR campaign where a couple low-level drug dealers get knocked?
knocked, you know, get hit, and they make it look like they're trying to toe the line because they do not want the U.S. military to come in there. We did a very good job. Did you hear what you just said? Go back and repeat what you just said. They don't want the U.S. military. No, go back a story prior to that. Do they... Did they knock off a couple of them to make it look good as a PR campaign? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Do you understand, you understand what, what you just Vinny said? was saying what 45 I said minutes earlier? ago? Yeah. What you just said? So that's the part to give permission to be like. So that's the part why you ought to consider that as a possibility, even though mm-hmm. if it's a 1 or 2%. So there's a part of me that reads this story and thinks it's, the, the cartel's uh, public, p- p- PR firm is a strong <laughs> PR firm. Can you imagine? Yeah, the, uh, we represent the cartels. Uh, the Mexican Sinaloa cartel in New York, it's a, uh, yes. one of the biggest uh, PR firms. Yeah, we're Burson Marsteller here, the largest <laughs> PR firm in the United States. And we now. Our portfolio includes. <laughs> By the way, there's, this is not a time for jokes, but I remember there was a long ago, there was a, a mockery that was done because. They invaded this this major distribution place that was in um, Colombia that was wrapping it all up. And there was this room where you saw these pictures and the boxes of these Ziploc freezer bags. There was like 50,000 boxes of these Ziploc freezer bags in there. And so it says, some salesman at the Glad Ziploc... <laughs> It says, really made quota on these guys. So who's one of your bigger customers? Well, you know, the cartel's down there. They need the one-pound freezer <laughs> yeah. bags for the cocaine. And, boy, I got that pool in my backyard wow. because I cut so, the deal. So Ziploc could have given them some intel of where they're buying, where they're shipping these bags to get more information on. Adam, give me your final thoughts thing. before you know, we move on. Talking about a PR campaign, yeah. it's essentially a PR campaign or even propaganda is to give the illusion or the facade that you're doing one thing when you're actually kind of doing another or to sort of um, – Expound upon what the greatness is, but you know, maybe sort of mitigate what the thing is. If, don't, don't look now, but what is Joe Biden doing? Because this article right here basically says the Biden administration has been urging Mexico to take aggressive steps to dismantle the Sinaloa cartel, the major fentanyl trafficking group. Okay, boom. What are we seeing low key from Joe Biden these days? Well, he's kind of building a little bit of a wall. Yeah. Not sure if you noticed, <laughs> kind of talking about that. He's clearly taking a hard line with Mexico, low-key. So th- what's the PR? What's the facade? Listen, we love immigrants. We love all that. But low-key, he's trying to play tough with Mexico. You know what he's doing? He's realizing everything, all the policies Trump had were successful. So let me replicate those policies without being too loud about it. Because if, God forbid, people find that it's their policies— I'm going to be in trouble because they're duplicating what he's doing. Anyways, let me go to the next story here, Tom, and I want to get your feedback on this with oil. So, one, U.S. to ease sanctions on Venezuelan oil for freer presidential election. Interesting, these three stories. I'll combine them together, and I'll give it to Tom. Very interesting here. The Biden administration and Venezuela, this is from WAPO, Washington Post. The Biden administration and Venezuelan uh, President Maduro's government have reached a breakthrough deal in which the U.S. will ease sanctions on Venezuelan oil industry in exchange for commitment from the authoritarian regime to hold a competitive internationally monitored presidential election in 2024. The relief and sanctions will be announced once an agreement is signed, including commitments by the Venezuelan government to ensure a fair vote. Under the agreement, Maduro has agreed to process for lifting bans on opposition candidates running uh, in its elections, it also com- uh, includes commitments to Maduro's government to accept international election electoral observations and open media access for elections. Actually, very, very interesting. Let me continue with the other two stories. ExxonMobil buying Pioneer Natural Resources for nearly $60 billion in its biggest deal in decades. This is a Forbes story, okay? 
This is a Forbes story. In this story, you see uh, uh, Exxon uh, uh, set to acquire uh, Pioneer Natural Resources, a $60 billion all stock deal, marking the largest deal for Exxon since its merger with Mobile in 19, late 1990s. The acquisition will acquire, will value Pioneer at $253 a share, with Pioneer shareholders receiving approximately 2.32 shares of Exxon Mobile for each share they own. The acquisition will give Exxon Mobile uh, Pioneer share 850,000 net acres in the Permian, Permian Basin in West Texas, effectively doubling its output in the region, which accounted for 18% of all natural gas. And last but not least, lithium discovery in U.S. volcano could be the biggest deposit ever found. Uh, uh, a significant lithium deposit has been identified in a volcanic crater along the Nevada-Oregon border, potentially containing between 20 to 40 million tons of lithium metal, which surpasses previous deposits found in Bolivia. The discovery carries substantial global implications affecting lithium prices, supply chain security, and uh, geopolitical dynamics in the lithium market. Mining operations are projected to commence in 2026, aiming to extract lithium from the claystone in an energy-efficient and low-acid consumption manner. Tom, why do these stories matter to the average American? We've been talking about the Middle East, and the Middle East is where there's a lot of energy, and the U.S. has been a net natural gas exporter. This increases our independence and increases our ability to stand on the world stage and to support Canada and other people with energy needs. So take a look. Venezuela. Venezuela is right across the Gulf from Galveston and Houston, Texas, where we have giant refineries down there. And by the way, so... Venezuela, it's sort of comical. Hey, if you promise, promise, promise to be good tonight, I'll give you ice cream. Okay, if you promise to have fair and open elections in Venezuela and stop knocking off opposition candidates, tell you what, I'll take off the sanctions on your Venezuelan oil. Remember, Venezuela is a member of... Everyone, everyone, OPEC, OPEC. Yes, they're the the redheaded stepchild way across the Atlantic Ocean. And so that brings Venezuelan oil here so that we can take advantage of that. Exxon buys up this so that they could do. And you've heard it before. You hear when the uh, conservative candidates say it. What should our energy policy be? Drill, baby, drill. Well, guess what? Exxon just found more places to drill, baby, drill, because West Texas, WTI, when you see in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the average price for, you know, light, sweet crude, Saudi Arabia, and for WTI crude, WTI is West Texas Intermediate, and the Permian Basin is this giant, giant basin over there in Midland, Odessa, Texas, where we have all this crude. So this is Exxon getting access to even more crude. Why is this important? Well, to get the prices for gas artificially down about a year ago, Joe Biden drained what's called the SPR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's where we keep oil, that if there's a major calamity, maybe it's weather, maybe it's a hurricane that takes out Galveston, you you don't know what it could be, but that was supposed to be the place that we dip to it in a time of emergency. Instead, what he did, he was trying to drop the price of gas um, artificially on the short-term basis. And people said, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, and now you have to refill it. So this is all part of, of further 
further American energy independence and America as an energy power. The globalists don't want us to be an energy power. They want us to be dependent. That's why the Greens line up with the globalists to say, oh, don't don't drill, no pipelines, uh, and don't go into Anwar. Anwar basically is drilling in Alaska where there's a ton of oil, ladies and gentlemen. So this is what this is all about. This Who, is Whose all victory about. is this? This is a victory for United States energy independence. That's great. And finally, Bi- and Biden is doing what Trump was doing with Venezuela. Why shouldn't they be allowed to take their oil over to us? Why don't we buy it? What I'm trailing you is all signs of every policy that was working under <laughs> Trump. Biden has finally realized that if you want to get reelected, you got to use those policies because that's exactly what's important to America. Wall. Oil independence, you're seeing all these stories secure. Well, they're not doing a border side. But no. By the way, by the way, the lithium discovery is an unexpected good news for the American. That's fantastic news. Because the members, How does Musk feel about you, that? How does Musk feel about that? Uh, he's, he's been in, he's taken an exceptionally long shower this is morning. Is he launching so a missile? He needed a big cold shower because he's really happy about this because it means we don't have to rely over time as this becomes, as this discovery becomes mined and available for sale. It means you don't have to rely on, on China, Chile, or very expensive lithium extraction from seawater to get this heavy mineral that you need to make batteries for electric vehicles and there's a lot more to it. Those batteries that you see Tesla cells that go on the wall of garages that could basically power the house for a day and a half, Those that's a big part of it, too. All about less reliance globally, and this is exactly the stuff that Trump would have been on top of. Quick antidote for you, Tom, because great explanation. I appreciate that. You said, how does this affect America? Well, I'll tell you how this affects my life and affects our lives here in South Florida. So uh, you may be familiar that in the 1980s and even prior to that, there was uh, the Cuban... Uh, entrance into Miami. Basically, Cubans helped build Miami along with a lot of um, local Jewish community. And, 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 you know, there's something called Little Havana and Calle Ocho. And there's a major, major Cuban presence in Miami. B.B. Rebozo. There you go. So uh, slowly but surely, uh, Little Havana and everything that's going on has sort of been uh, shifting towards what I call Little Caracas because uh, that's the capital of Venezuela. Venezuelans are pouring into, legally speaking, pouring into Miami and and basically setting up shop in Miami and saying, we ain't going back to frickin' Venezuela. So that's great that there's diplomatic relations kind of going on, the oil, the sanctions, everything going on right there. But here's the th- one thing they should know. When the Cubans first came here, uh, they were anti-communist, anti-socialist, anti-Fidel Castro, and they voted with the Republican Party, with Reagan, and, and Nixon so, was and socially shirt up that block. What's happening right now, I know we talk about the open borders and sort of the Latin American countries and Mexico pouring in and basically under the democratic guise of remember who let you in. Don't forget these people who are basically leaving the Maduro regime uh, via um, Chavez regime uh, will definitely be remembering uh, the socialist communist lifestyle uh, and remember that when they vote for most likely Republicans in the upcoming election, assuming they're allowed to vote. Okay, so that's that. Let's go to the next story. I think we got a couple more stories here to go through before we wrap up. Uh, one of the stories, uh, Vinny, I'm going to go to this here, and then I'm going to get into the Jada Pinkett story. Okay. Uh, here's a story from Military Times. Nearly 70% of active members are overweight, report fines. 70% of active military duty is, at, uh, uh, is overweight. So 
A report of American Security Party reveals that two-thirds of Americans uh, uh, of soldiers, active duty members, fall within an overweight or obese category. The body mass index BMI, the obesity rate within a military base on BMI, has more than doubled over the past decade, rising from t- – are you kidding me? Rising from 10 to 21 percent. The report emphasizes need for addressing this issue, particularly in the context of military recruitment and readiness. The grown obesity rate amongst service members are seen as alarming, affecting the military's ability to recruit an adequate labor force. The b- report recommends reviewing body composition standards, referring troops with high BMI to specialized doctors for obesity treatment, with including BMI data and report provided to Congress. What is the recruiting and retention? What are we talking about here? You What's tell, your thoughts on this story? You tell, well, first of all, Pat, the numbers for recruitment is at an all, like, it's, t- Tom, nobody's joining the military. I'm actually worried, Pat, because not only <clears throat> 70% out of shape is absolutely uh, ridiculous, which has doubled in the past 10 years. Look at how, what else has the military been doing this year? We lost for a week. Uh, F-35, $85 million plane. They had no idea where the hell it was. And then they came out and asked the public, hey, do you guys know where it is? It's like, wait a minute. You're the military. You know what I mean? How are you asking us where a stealth fighter is? I mean, apparently I think they found it. It crashed somewhere in the ocean. But, uh, Pat, I'm genuinely worried because besides the weight, besides the losing technology, not not keeping up with what's happening in the world with uh, intelligence, we're paying... The military pays for girls to have boob jobs, and if you want to transition, they'll, they're paying for people to have transition surgery. Your tax dollar, your tax dollar is going for that. It's the, the military is getting weak, and with all the stuff that's happening in the world, this is the worst time to have overweight, woke surgery having people that are like when because Tom, we're, we're we've gotten lax days ago because nothing has happened. There's there hasn't been no wars, there hasn't been no deployments. It's it's. It's a scary thing because I'm not saying, Pat, we need practice, but something needs to happen with the training and something needs to happen, Tom, to keep them on their toes. Because if 70% are overweight, God forbid some ground invasion shit happens, I think we're in bad shape. Tom? I, I agree. I think it's part of a, a bigger and longer five-week <laughs> podcast on America's health and, and, and what's going on. But I think this is, this is disgraceful. And, but I go upstream. Why can't we get young people with a patriotic eye to serve their country? Well, when you look what's happening in the schools and stuff. We're having trouble recruiting them. And the ones we can recruit, we're having – what they're saying is I can't get enough people that are in shape that want to defend their country. So I'm having to expand the criteria (laughs) to people who are softer and bigger. And I think that's – Pat, not to cut you off, Pat, do you – like? No wonder why numbers are down. If you wave a flag, people are like, you're, you're, you're racist. Patriotism is at an all-time low. You can't even say that you love being American because people think that it's a shitty thing to say. You, you know, that you doesn't know, surprise me. So, so, by the way, just beautifully put together. Number one, love of the country. You have to have that. you got to have love and pride for the country you represent. Others have it. Uh, uh, our educational system is not increasing love and pride in our country. That's number one. Number two, it's a very good point, Tom. Number two. Our standards have dropped, okay? We are trying to be way too soft, allowing trans, allowing, you know, it's okay to do LGBTQ and to do this and to do that. We have to be more such and such. Your enemy doesn't give a shit if you're gay, straight, trans, or black, or white, or Hispanic. They don't care. They want to kill you. And the only thing you can do to protect your country is to be seen, feared, and respected. And the enemy today doesn't fear us, and they don't respect us. Why would anybody respect an enemy 
who's out of shape. This guy's going to run out of breath after 30 seconds of, <sighs> I can't do this. Can you tell them to stop? Let's take a break. Nobody takes a break in war. There are no timeouts in war. In a game, there may be timeout. Hey, coach, I'm out of breath. You can't go and say, hey, uh, Hamas, can you go? let's take a quick 30-second timeout on this war here. Let's take a quick 30 seconds. Let's take a full full timeout, full yeah. timeout to get a break. That doesn't happen in war. So it's pretty embarrassing and pathetic, to say the least. I'll add one thing is that, you know, uh, on my show, when the Sazcast, we have all these women on, and we have these conversations about what's going on with the modern-day feminism and basically the body positivity movement. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen the latest Victoria's Secret fashion show situation and just all shapes and sizes and sort of redefining what beautiful is. And there's zero uh, fat shaming allowed. There's zero accountability. Hey, you can as big as you, be as big as you want to be. And the problem with that is that we didn't essentially look on the other side of the equation when it comes to men. Men have no problem being like, dude, you're you're a complete slop. You're completely out of shape. Get it together. But uh, women will not do that to each other. They will not hold each other accountable. If someone's big, they're like, oh, you're big, you're a queen or whatever. But to see that happening in the military to today is just sort of uh, indicative of where we're at. You know, they said the military's gone woke, go woke, go broke. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the exactly the new Victoria's. Um, uh, but it, it's I don't know if this is a food thing. Uh, so with, are you saying are you saying bring back fat shaming in the military? Is that kind of what you're That's saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Slight bullying. Right, yes. I mean, at least little, you're not being uh, a little bullying. Yeah. And Pat's funny. It's funny you brought up the gays and the yeah. military. By the way. Their, their numbers are so down. Yeah. It went from when we were in to don't ask, don't tell. Now mm. it's we don't give a shit. We need, yeah. we need you. And this is a fun, this is a random, Pat, but this is a, a fact. Did you know in 1994, our government tried to use gay as a weapon? Did you know that? They, sp- they were proposed to build the Department of Defense $7.5 million to create a gay bomb. A bomb, a chemical that when it when it blew up, Google. If you think I'm lying, Rob, look it up. Yeah. Pat, this chemical would hit the enemy, Pat, and make them irresistible to well, each other. Something tells me, Vinny, wait, that wait, much like the go Wuhan little, lab leak that leaked Rob. somehow here in America, go, buddy. Go, okay, there you go. Gay bomb, uh, informally known as a non-lethal psychochemical weapon concept that was speculated. <laughs> Upon a research laboratory within the United States Air Force, the unconventional <laughs> idea involved the dispersion of sex pheromones uh, 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 over enemy forces with the intent of generating mutual sexual attracting among them, causing mass confusion <laughs> and panic within their platoons. Dating back to 94, the Wright Laboratory in Ohio, a persecutor to the modern United States Air Force Research Laboratory, drafted a three-page proposal detailing several potential non-lethal chemical weapons. The document eventually acquired by Sunshine Project. Sunshine! The Freedom of Informative Act request explores the notion of the gay bomb, among other concepts. Can you ima- what? Can you imagine this, Adam? We're fighting in the Middle East, and there's two Middle Easterns like in a foxhole, and the gay bomb hits, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> the smoke clears like, Amir, are you okay? He's like, no, he's like, what can I do to help? He's like, well... <laughs> <laughs> Get back there, and like, dude. Could you imagine using like that's 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 the type of money that they were wanting There's to spend? Way too many good jokes with this. How thing, funny is that? But it's a fact. Wow. You told well, me to find gems. That's a gem. Maybe they dropped a lot of gay bombs in a few different places in America. If you ever stop, go down, the, if you stop, ever go down the rabbit hole of CIA and <sighs> Department of Defense drug and other testing, you will find that they were trying anything. A lot of it didn't work, but they were trying anything, and they would experiment with it. Okay, all right, let's go to the last story. Yeah, who laid Just let's go to the last story, Pat. Have you seen Jada Pinkett's recent book? Have you read it? Mm. I have not read it. I thought for sure you had read it. So, Jada Pinkett, if you want to pull up the story so I can read this, she just recently wrote a book. Pull up the New York Post story 
Uh, Will Smith's Will Smith heartbroken, shocked over Jada Pinkett's book, Worthy. Take a rest. Go a little lower to read this year. So uh, Will Smith speaks continuously about the bombshells of his estranged wife, Jada Smith, and her new mom, Worthy. The 55-year Oscar winner penned a, a um, letter to British podcaster, author, and life coach Jay Shetty, who read the message to uh, uh, Jada Pinkett on an episode of her podcast. I just turned the final page of Worthy, wrote Smith. It is amazing to realize that despite having lived most of my life by your side, I still find myself shocked and stunned, caught off guard, laughing, then inspired, then heartbroken. I was all over the place. He continued. It's one thing to hear anecdotes at a family barbecue, but it was truly overwhelming to take your, uh, take in your story uh, potential, uh, po- potently condensed in this way. Smith uh, seemed uh, to have a largely positive effect on Pinkett Smith, who married in 1997, and the uh, regards to their own actions. I know it wasn't easy to... Executive Depp this way, I applaud you and honor you in the letter. If I had read this book 30 years ago, I definitely would have hugged you more. I'll start now. Welcome to Authors Club. I love you endlessly. Now uh, get home, get some Merlot and take a rest. And he says, you know I can't drink some Merlot. And, and by the way, apparently in uh, the memoir, they have been uh, uh, separated for seven years. Since 2016. So they've been apparently separated. So Austin happened afterwards. So they've been separated for seven years. So when the Oscar thing happened, Pat, you realize... Not when- Oscar. Austin. The guy. The that, Aust- uh, uh, August, their sons. August, 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 their friend's yeah. best friend or whatever. Like, but go ahead. What are your like, thoughts Pat, on this? My, I have my, some thoughts myself. Okay. But. Well, first of all, the book's called Worthy. It could easily be called Emasculation, a Will Smith story. Like, mm-hmm. how? Like first and foremost, Pat... Jada, she could do whatever she wants. You could party. You could hook up with all your friends, 19-year-old, your son's uh, friends. You could do, like, why do you have to put it out in the public? Like, and I get it, Pat. She's selling a book. It's almost like Colin Kaepernick. When he had his book coming out, guess what he said? Hey, everybody's racist. Even my white parents who adopted me. Like, it's it's a trend when somebody wants the eyeballs. But, it, and it's a fun, not a fun fact, but the fact that, you know, when they did the whole Oscar slap, when he was like, keep my effing wife's name mm-hmm. out your mouth, they weren't married. They weren't. So when he said wife, she was like, he's not talking to me. But I, it, this this all comes down to. I have to, a complete different theory, but go okay, ahead. Okay, complete theory. But, and then, Pat, mind you, she even said, like, this is all stuff that you don't say, stuff like uh, uh, Tupac's my soulmate. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, this is all information that you take to the grave to yourself. Your husband, like Will Smith's. Legacy, Pat. His name is no matter from from now on for the rest of your life. When you look at him, are you going to think of I am Legend and uh, Independence Day? No, you're thinking about this embarrassing ass moment, and it's just yeah. it's horrible, Adam. Like don't, it's almost like, like he's the Fresh Prince of bald yeah. hair. <laughs> or, Anything else? No, I, 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 let me tell you what. Go I, ahead. Go here's ahead. what I got. Here's what I got. Okay, so again, I like to say what the different uh, uh, possibilities are of what's going on here. Okay, one. I believe this book was written with that seven years to publicly save Will Smith from being humiliated that his wife hooked up with, you know, whatever that... Uh, August. August, uh, August, Augustine. Augustine, whatever the guy's name is, right? Okay, so that's one. So that kind of is like, oh, so they weren't together. So apparently they weren't together, they were separated. It's not a big deal. So, you know, it's just kind of what happened. It's pretty embarrassing. You know, everybody here has been... Uh, you've either cheated or you've been cheated on, and if you've been on the cheated on set, it's heartbreaking, Horrible. devastating, publicly embarrassing... And uh, uh, it's not a nice season of your life when you go through it. Okay. Two, uh, uh, while she's writing this book, you know, um, marketing scheme, okay, uh, to do that. Okay, cool. Three, is uh, uh, Will Smith talking the way he does? You ever seen a movie, Original Sin, with Angelina Jolie and Antonio Banderas? You ever seen that movie? Original Sin. Have you seen Original Sin? Holy freaking moly. Oh, that's another one I got to watch. So the movie, for those of you that have seen Original Sin, comment below if you've seen it, if you know what I'm talking about. The story is about the fact that 
you know, Antonio Banderas is this like rich, successful. Let me read the, uh, uh, just go to the, to read like the, uh, uh, yeah, go to Wikipedia, just kind of give you an idea what it's about. So Antonio Banderas is in love with her. And no matter what she does to him, he cannot let her go. Okay. He just cannot let her go. She's pretty much destroying him publicly to everybody. But he keeps coming back, okay? Yeah. So maybe he's in love with her like Antonio Banderas is in love with Angelina yeah. Jolie in Original Sin. You have to watch it. Very I'm, I'm weird movie. I'm watching it. Very weird movie. Number three. Number three. Maybe Will Smith is being held hostage, okay? Maybe she has him hostage because she has intel on him for the past 20-something years with things he likes sexually, dirt, other dirt. men. She's got dirt. She's got that. And so Will Smith's like, dude, I am so... In jail, and nobody knows it. Wow, good point. And because I'm in jail, I have to say all of this stuff because, God forbid, if I don't, she is. Do you believe she's the type of a person that could come out and become Amber Heard 2.0 and want to destroy Will Smith's life? Do you believe she could do that? 100%. I don't put a pass on Okay. Now, here's the thing you have to realize that most, you know, how everybody, uh, the other day uh, we had the, the, uh, 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 Tommy Matola and Thalia, they came into the building yeah. and yeah. we're having a meeting together. And Leo's like, oh my, he's in the middle of a call and a Zoom, drops the Zoom, runs up to her. And he's like, oh my God, Thalia. Da, 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 da. And then Clarissa texts me saying, you know, that was his. That was his love of his life what? when he was younger, a teenager, because Thalia was like the girl. Wow. So, anyways, to me, it was Jada Pinkett. Okay. Mm. I watched Jason's lyric and I was in love. Okay. Yep. This was my girl. I can tell you the playlist of. You know, uh, Jason's lyric from, you know, uh, if you think you're lonely now, wait until tonight. You know, that was the, the song in that uh, uh, soundtrack. There's another one, Many Rivers to Cross. Beautiful song. It's a great soundtrack. I would play it on repeat regularly. I was in love with Jada. Jada was my girl at 18 years old. This is going to be the girl I'm going to be with. Okay, well, thank God Will got her instead of me. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for Will. But anyways, this was somebody that I loved, her movies, the stuff she was on, set it off. She was in all these different scenes, and I'm a Tupac guy, so there's an element there as well. But for me, um, I think it's embarrassing. I feel bad for Will Smith. I feel bad for what's going on. Um, I feel embarrassed for the way this is being handled. There's a lot of things you should do to sell books. If you're going to be advertising the person you're still married to and advertise all his business, all your business publicly, it's 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 not my style. I, I'm not turned on by that kind of a thing. It is a modern-day thing that a lot of people do. But I think Will Smith is in jail, and I think Will Smith needs to go have dinner with Johnny Depp <laughs> and uh, hang out with him for a weekend somewhere in France and have some wine together and enjoy. Maybe he can have Merlot with Johnny Depp yeah. and talk it's over what's really going on. Although I don't think Johnny Depp drinks Merlot. No. Yeah. So uh, We're I, not I, drinking Merlot! I, yeah. you, I know you've talked about from the movie Sideways. Your, your relationship uh, or, you know, with, with Jada. I have a question for Vinny. So it, it sounds like you you almost think that. So have you ever been in love? Of course. You have. Yeah. What happened? Shit happened. I was in the military. I was young. I made mistakes. I okay. cheated. I was an idiot. So how long ago was that? In love? Yeah. Six years ago. Okay, so like, it's been it's been quite some time. So remember the time we loved. Uh, we Will said love. They made you, love. Um, so it. it so you're basically saying that you think that Will's almost a victim in this situation? Of course, because she's putting his, his information out there and they have kids and shit. So, but why didn't he just officially leave her then? Adam, because we're lo like, what? and again, you, you, you always think that you're the relationship guru and it's bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, I, no, oh, no, when's the last time you were in love? I love how you're trying to change. Currently this, like, in love right now. This isn't. No, this is bullshit. Yeah, you're I'm, just, I'm just. I'm posing a question. No, Adam, I'm not, I'm it's not a trying question, to attack but you're, you. Oh, no, you are trying to attack because you think you're talking shit and it's bullshit. 
and it's stupid. Like what? Not oil? Because I haven't been in love. When's the last time you were in love? I'm currently in love. When's the last time right you're in love? Bullshit, Adam. So, really? Hold on, Vinny, I Which you, girl I is it? I asked you a simple question. Podcast on love has another be, battle. It, it almost a... sounds like you're like defending Will Smith. He has no autonomy or authority over his own life, and he's Adam, just victim and staying, Adam, you staying giving with... me advice about relationships is probably the funniest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Oh, Vinny, maybe, maybe, wow, maybe you're 45 years old. Maybe you should use some fucking advice you're for fucking a change. You're fucking 43 and you're single too. No, kid. not single anymore, guys. Are you divorced? Oh, yeah, I was. All right, so how? Pat, are you giving me fucking? Uh, I'm just saying that, like, Adam, you're stupid. Who are you to just talk you're shit about Will your Smith? Color, you're showing your true colors, Adam. You should be fucking embarrassed with yourself. Like, Seriously, how are you going to talk? Will Smith is, looks like a cuck. He looks stupid. You look stupid. You look really because dumb. I'm saying that Will has the ability to make his own decisions no, and he decides to stay with dumb Jada. Shit. Adam, Adam, you're you're a, you're dumb as shit. You're talking shit. What is me having to be in love and whatever? I I'm I'm looking for the right one. You know, Vinny, I always defend Adam, you. People, f- Adam, Adam, you Vinny, look I always defend you. And people, like you think I'm being an antagonist right now? I ask no, a simple question. It's a simple bro. question, but I but I know who you are as a person. And yeah, bullshit. I know who you are, Vinny. You I see what the people say behind your back Adam, all the time. If we go in the chat right Guys. now, they're all talking okay. shit about you. All right, sure. Hold on, Pat. I yeah, love you, but no, Adam, no. fuck you, Adam. It's bull- really, bro. It's BS. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You want what? You want guy, Vinny? What? Then go. Let's go outside. Then. If you're gonna be that guy, I'm not gonna go outside. You want me to? You want? I want you to meet me there after. Yeah, podcast? let's go. Okay. This is bullshit. How about this? I'll I'll Adam, I'll walk off the podcast Adam, right now. Go ahead. When you walk out go there, ahead. I'll be waiting for go you. Go ahead. All right. Cool. Go we ahead. want to play that game. Yeah, please. let's play that sure. game. Okay. Like the chat Five isn't minutes, talking buddy. shit about you. Okay. Well, like the chat isn't talking shit about him right now, Pat. Is the chat talking right, shit about well, him, Pat? Is the chat is the chat talking shit about Adam? Adam. If anybody wants to talk about mortgage rates, I'm over here. No, the hell with the mortgage rate. What? It's bullshit. One more thing. What? 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 Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. You guys are good. To you. That was my gift. That Happy was a show. That was a show. Best birthday present. I love a good fight. I love a good fight. That was a sick fight, huh? <laughs> Dude, I was sick. That was great. I'm Pat. like, I'm entertained. I'm letting this to go. Was that I got good? a dream hey guys, team call, man. Vinny, you want to go now, bro? You want to go, Vinny? Hey, guys, was that, belie- Pat, was that believable? That was sick. That was, that was good. I saw the door open up. I'm seeing Kelly. I'm like... I see what's going on here, but I was These impressed. Guys. This was very good. Did you believe it? Thank Watch you so back, much, guys. guys. Did you believe that Vinny and I were going to Here's fight. what matters. The audience believed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, I'm over here. I'm trying to go in. I'm like, I got to talk. I got to talk a lot of shit. But, but, uh, but, Pat, can I say one thing? Go I, for I have to write it down because I've, I have to me- so much to memorize. But, Pat, you're not just a CEO. You're a friend. You're a mentor. You're an amazing father. You're a great husband. You're a great son to Gabriel. Your guidance inspiration, leadership has set a bar for all of us for excellence. You challenge everybody every day uh, in our life to be better versions of ourselves, including me. You've changed my life tremendously. Uh, you've shown us what it means to be to lead in both vision and compassion. So, Pat, on this day, I want to wish you a happy birthday filled with love, continued success, and may your journey ahead be as bright, <laughs> bright as your path that you've illuminated for all of us. I love my you, man. Pat. Love you, bro. Yeah.
I almost, I yeah. almost did want to punch Adam in the yeah, face. No. I will still <laughs> beat you outside. He's like, but the last time you were love, I'm I like, shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, we, so I, I don't have an eloquent speech as, as Vinny did. I had to like, Vinny's a professional comedian actor. I actually had to get into the moment and just like focus on that. But Vinny, well done. We had this sort of planned. But just to kind of echo what Vinny's saying, PBD, uh, you know how much people respect you and love you. And I know you don't like compliments, but just know that we're all with you. We're riding with you. We're not going anywhere. We love you, brother. Mentor, father, son. You do so much for us. Thank you for leading us. My and man. May the, and Gabriel, may the future man. continue like this. You. And Gabriel, thank you for having him because the thank world is a better you. place with yeah. you in it. What a what, freaking what mayhem. Like, what I'd like to You know what, Tom? Stay out of oh, this, buddy. This is between Vinny and I. You want to go, Tom? Keep your mortgage rate yeah. and shove them up your yeah. ass, Tom. Whoa! Yes. Hey, Did you even go to freaking medical school? Yeah. Biz doc? Biz doc? What, what are you a doctor of? Doctor of what? Boring ass <laughs> case yeah. studies? Take what? these charts and shove them up your ass. Just kidding, Tom. We love you. We love you. Wow. Yeah. Boy, that went crazy. You know, in a day we... I'll, I'll finish with this. In a day where we're in here covering... Conflict and a world that's really thank gone you everybody sideways. thanks babe yeah you know what Mario you're looking thick Mario you look sexy dude but wait Tom because don't lose your oh. don't lose your message Tom because I want to hear sorry by the way no I think on a on a day most people don't see on a day when there's so much conflict in the world and there's so much bad news that we're covering you know if you understood the team atmosphere and everything, what we built here, and I say thank you, Pat, for allowing me to be a part of it. You know, thank you for bringing me to PHP when you did, and thank you for taking me on the next ride because I've loved every bit of it. And I just say happy birthday. Thank you, thank you for being my friend. My I am just thrilled to be here. And again, when there's so much conflict in the world, we're coming together with a real purpose and everything. I thank you for being part of that purpose and taking us on this ride. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. There's nothing like working with people that you love to come work with that work doesn't feel like work. It's just I'm having a blast with the people that we're spending time with. Future looks bright. Uh, uh, what a weird set of ways you guys uh, wish me a happy birthday, but this goes down as one of the best. <laughs> Was it ever. good? I like got 50,000 people watching live. I think they wanted to see us fight. Uh, they do. And by the way, we Shot. ran a poll. 82% yeah. think Vinny would win. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Let's go, bro. You want to go? They don't realize I'm six foot 200. You're five foot 100. Yeah, they don't know that. Abs don't help in a fight, buddy. Oh, yeah. All right. Gang. Gang. This was great. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for all the best wishes here. Uh, we will do this again. Uh, Rob, are we doing it Thursday? Thursday. Thursday again. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye.